Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. We're home stretching it now, boys and girls. This Saturday, Jeff and I will do our very first live show at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. You don't want to miss it. It is the home of the world's greatest crab cakes and stories you can't hear on the podcast. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Plus, we've got a very special guest no hints here, but in Baltimore, you're going to love him. Oh, by the way, everyone is a VIP. You're going to get to meet Jeff and myself. We've got an incredible swag bag lined up. I don't want to spoil all of the surprises, but you're getting a koozie. You're getting a lanyard. You're getting an autograph tape by 10 and so much more cool stuff. Plus I'm telling you, you're going to want to say you were there for the very first live show of your new favorite podcast, my world. Now tickets are on sale right now. Hurry, grab them while you still can at Jeff and It's this Saturday night and it's a late night show. So come on in, grab yourself some dinner, have a few cocktails and let Jeff and I make you laugh. You're going to have a blast. It's Jeff and Conrad live this Saturday at Jimmy's famous seafood in Baltimore, Maryland. Be there and be sure to pick up those tickets right now at Jeff and Hey everybody. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support, but right here at the top of the show, before we get started today, I wanted to send a shout out to friend of the show, Jay Fratt, who tweeted me a picture yesterday. And uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out here. He says, I'll just leave this here. And then it's a screenshot that says old mortgage number of months left 317 new mortgage number of months left 240 months off of loan 77. Think about that. 77 house payments gone. Years off loan, 6.4. Total savings, $206,906.53. That's worth repeating. $206,906.53. This is what Jay saved at SaveWithConrad.com. He made sure to put in the tweet, Oh, by the way, my monthly payments went up a whopping $13. Thank you to Larry, Jennifer, Philip, and the entire team for making this decision super easy to go through. Cannot recommend looking into this info enough. So there you go. Savewithconrad.com. Save Jay and his family $206,906 
And in order to save that money and cut 77 payments off of his loan, he's paying 13 extra dollars a month. Step one is to go to savewithconrad.com. Step two is to do a quick application, either online or over the phone. And step three is for us to give you three or four different money-saving ideas. And once you finish step four and pick the right option for you, you're off to the races. It really is that easy. This is a real-life example of someone who listens to this show and then went to savewithconrad.com to take my challenge. Find out how much money you can save for free. It's no cost, it's no obligation, and you don't need perfect credit. So why wouldn't you do this? And oh, by the way, we're licensed in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before. So even if you've taken a look once upon a time into refinancing, it's worth another look right now. It was worth nearly 207 grand to Jay. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? You won't have to make your payment in July or August. You're done until September 1st. And come September, you've got a better mortgage. Get out of debt now. Keep more of your own money. Go to savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, Double J, Mr. Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Conrad, how are we doing, my friend, today? Man, better than I deserve. You have a big holiday weekend last weekend? Uh, as I alluded to, as I was running a few minutes late for us getting started, heck, I'm ready to get back to work to get some rest. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did, but, uh, yeah, lots of moving parts, lots of boats out this weekend, Conrad. It's, uh, it's like uh, amateur hour out there sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, I, I am, uh, ready to go, but a, a big weekend, you know, Memorial day Fourth of July and labor day are always huge. They're the, they're the big, uh, tent pole events, if you will, yeah. on, on so, uh, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot, well, lot of fun, a lot of good times. As a reminder, you and I record this show literally a week early. Uh, so the show that's coming out this morning, as you and I are recording is part one of this TNA episode. And of course, everybody over at adfreeshows.com gets it way early. And I saw incredible feedback and I know you were sort of concerned when we finished last week. Hey, was that too inside be, uh, baseball? Was that too granular? Was that too much detail? I didn't think so. And I think the fans agreed. What sort of feedback have you seen? Very spot on like that. You know, um, and, and, uh, what I'm learning sword, this is episode five, I believe is it sort of, and obviously the, the only episode is, is completely different. So I'm not truly alluding to that, just that episode, but like going back the night that Vince fired me on TV and the night I held him up with the uh, AK 47. Right. And the, but you know, the, the, the WWA, it's like reliving all this and there's some emotional, um, bandwidth that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And when we, when you were reading from my father's book and, and going through that and candidly, and we discussed this on the podcast and off of it, you know, it's his story. It's his version. Um, you know, my story, my version, but just how inaccurate some of things are. And, and we were literally obviously father, son, and I'm not just saying father, son, but we, we were business partners. Yeah. And, um, so just living, reliving a lot of this and, and going back through the experience and, and you just said going so granular, but the feedback that I see, it's like, oh, wow, Jeff, that was so cool. And, 
the recall on this or the recall on that, uh, really enjoyed it. So, um, I, I'm obviously pleasantly so pleased with, uh, pleased with that, that people are digging into it and, and enjoying it. And what's old to me or stuff that I've lived. And you said this from the day one that you were chasing me yeah, like called a dog. Hey man, nobody knows your story. Yeah. Uh, they want to hear the deep dive. So, um, here we go again. Uh, this is part two, right? Uh, of the deep dive, uh, before we even have our first show. So, uh, I'm fired up. I'm pumped. You texted me that early this morning. So, uh, I'm ready now. Yeah. I mean, I am pumped because you know, not a lot of folks in my lifetime have started successful wrestling companies and, you know, obviously Tony Khan is the latest and greatest to do it, but gosh, nearly 20 years ago, you did it, man. And it, it wasn't without trials and tribulations and ups and downs. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How are we sort of laying the foundation for what will become TNA, uh, where we, we, we stopped on part one was the end of March. So we ran through January, February, and March of 2002, as, as we hope to debut in June of 02. So we're going to pick it up with April 1st. Your dad reaches out to the ultimate warrior. Did you ever have any conversations with warrior? And were you thinking this is somebody who could be, you know, a one-off, uh, a short run, or could he be a staple of what you're trying to build with uh, cable and, and pay-per-view and whatever else you envision for the future? You know, uh, again, reliving all this, I had a couple of conversations with Jim, but very top level. And again, to put it back in context, I had never done business with him. Our past really never crossed at WWF and, you know, the, the stuff that was highlighted, uh, or low lighted or however you want to say it, the, the, the vice show, you know, that time when he went back, um, what's the word that Jr. used? I, I still crack up at that. Destrucity. <laughs> I still was just like, huh? But anyway, that, that time frame, I was not at the WWF at that time. And, you know, w- watching that mania. See, anyway, I, me and Jim's past never really crossed other than I met him on Thanksgiving day, 1985. And he was in here with staying at the family, you know, the, the, the territory USWA or CWA at the time. But anyhow, our past had never crossed. So he was more of a, uh, business colleague or cohort or, you know, it was a friend of my dad's in this relationship that I reached out, had some conversations, but my dad was doing all the true business negotiations. And he was asking me some different questions, very high level. He was a name, uh, a a tremendous name value. And and going into uh, June of 02, we were really looking, only looking at 26 shows, even if you made every show. So Jim was a three, four, five, six, whatever. Hey man, come give us a try. And I, you know, that was maybe one of those first pitches, but I gave that pitch to a lot of folks through the first year, whether it was Kurt Henning or Rick Steiner or Hacksaw or the road warriors. We're not asking you to sign an exclusive deal. We're not asking you to do anything than we're starting at a company. You want to come work a few shows he obviously had the name value. And so that was about the extent of my conversation with Jim. Your dad detailed that he thought he had a great conversation with him. Uh, this is all from your dad's book, by the way, which uh, I guess we should plug again. I think sales are going to go through the roof. The story of the development of the NWA TNA, a new concept and pay-per-view programming. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. I got both Jeff and I new copies so we could sort of break down all of this. Conrad timeout. 
Are you getting a cut of this book? You always somehow, some way you got to be getting a cut of this I'm, book. I'm not, but in my head, I'm, I'm helping dear old dad. So I hope okay. one day you'll plug something of my dad's and it will be there even. You go. Larry. I love him. I love a man. Roll tide. Uh, so chat me up your dad sort of lays out. We had a good call. And then the next call he has, uh, the next day or the next correspondence he has, maybe it's a contract or an email or whatever. It's totally opposite of what they talked about. And so your dad ultimately winds up back on the phone with him. And he, and he, and he actually details one crazy day where he spends the entire day on the phone with Randy Savage and, and Jim Helwig. And he's frustrated and he gets to a point with warrior where he says, Hey, uh, appreciate your time, but I'm moving on. And warrior picks up the phone and calls Vince Russo. And is like, dude, Jerry Jarrett, just, you know, put a halt of all of our talks. What the hell? Do you remember hearing from your dad that, well, this warrior thing ain't going to work out. Oh yeah, I definitely remember, remember that, but you know, uh, again, uh, so I'm early thirties and my dad is 50 in his fifties and 59. Okay. Thank you, Conrad. Uh, but during this startup phase, we'll call it from the, from the time WCW closed till like th- this time frame. obviously I was sharing many more conversations with my father about the business than I had you know, the, the seven, six, seven years, eight years that I'd gone to WCW and WWF and back and forth. And I, I can re- vividly remember thinking to myself, the talent of 2002 has a, not a completely different mindset, but quite a bit of a different mindset, uh, than, than when he was actively involved in ownership role, not creative or, or not assisting Vince or consulting for WCW, but actively talking to talent that it wasn't the same. It, it wasn't the same mentality, you know, in the territory days, it, it was no big deal. Hey, here's a start. A lot of tech guys will tell you they had a start date and an end date. So when you take a job, it's a, okay, I'm working six months, I'm working nine months. So it was, I don't say cleaner, but, but a different mindset. Yeah. This was come do four, six show deal. And I don't think my dad had really been in those type of negotiations, so to speak. And there was, you know, uh, I'll say the underbelly of every conversation. And I've thought about this over the last week, no going with the knowing that I'm going into, you know, doing this podcast and these kind of conversations, dealing with talent post WCW, and nothing else on the horizon. It's the underbelly is, am I jumping on this train or not? Who's going, who's doing what, where's it going? How's it taking us? Japan wasn't at its peak. There was no, you know, you, you, there was, there wasn't really any places to go make a living. So my dad dealing with the hot cold switch of any talent, let alone ultimate warrior became, I became very aware of that. Do you think at that time, I'm glad that you brought that back to context. WCW's gone. ECW's gone. Uh, Ring of Honor has just started, but that's not exactly a full time gig. And Japan is still running shows, but it's not what we might call hot. And outside of that, it's like Mexico, or, you know, maybe you want to try some European indies. But as far as full time touring talent here in the States, there's dozens and dozens of guys who are looking around for the first time. Like, uh, Hey, what's next? Yes, sir. And there had to be some sort of feeling that 
And boy, I, I don't mean for this to sound the way it does, but Jr. has said a lot of times he would hear from talent who would say, you know, I got one more run left in me, Jim. <laughs> the idea being everyone thinks they've got one more big run with Vince. And there may have been some folks who were cautious about dealing with you guys because they didn't want to jeopardize what they perceived to be the opportunity for one last big push with Vince. So you probably have to approach this as, Hey, we're not trying to lock you down. Just come try it short term, couple of shots. Let's see how it feels. If it's a good fit, we can keep going. And if not, no big deal, but you're keenly aware that a lot of that mentality exists with talent and they might want to shop their deal. Maybe they can get a little exposure and show Vince what they can do and then make the big leap. But you know, going in, Hey, some of these guys may look at me as a springboard and that's okay. Right. Tickled to death with it. And I tried to encourage that fact that, you know, Randy Savage, one of the first lessons that I can remember him on a car ride, Conrad, you may like this story, but you know, and I, I don't do a macho man's, uh, impression impersonation, but is stay in the game, stay in the game. Yeah. And that was the whole mindset of, Hey man, look, you're not going to get rich. And I'm telling you that right up front. You're not even going to be away from your family that much. The bonus is you're getting your foot back in a game to have some exposure. Yeah. Maybe little, it may be a lot, but at least you're getting back in the game. And what's crazy is some people, and that's just sort of, uh, again, uh, I got, I got lucky to grow up in it, seeing that mentality that, um, you know, Lawler and, and my father, off and on alternating booker, you always want somebody who's out already currently working. If yeah. they're sitting at home or, Hey, I've taken some time off the red flags go up. Uh, but if you're, you know, coming off of a hot angle in Texas or Don Owen or whatever it is. So, so that, that knowing that going in and uh, for lack of a better word, ha- having my pitch in that, look, we're not trying to tie you up <laughs> at all. Come give us a shot. And that served us well. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but that served us well, especially in the first two years. Well, let's talk about sort of the, uh, the other thing we haven't addressed, it's going to be a big part of your name and the way the whole thing comes together. I know this is going to be a long discussion, but I'm ready to get into it. The national wrestling Alliance. Once upon a time, the NWA was the big dog of professional wrestling sort of pre Vince McMahon going national. It was the belt. It was the organization. But when Jim Crockett promotions went under and they ultimately sold to Turner, it became a whole new ball game and they focused more on world championship wrestling and slowly, but surely over the course of the next handful of years, the NWA name sort of faded away. And now you guys are starting back up and it appeals to someone, either you or your dad. Hey, what if who's the first person who brings up the idea of using the national wrestling Alliance, as far as you can recall. Me uh, and and um, you know it's the belt in you two. I grew up on uh, you know pre even you know Flair, Dory Funk, and hearing the 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 the, the, the road stories of you know the Funks, the Briscoes. Um, I mean Harley Saint Race, Luke, Dusty Rhodes, on and on. And and look when Carrie uh, Carrie Von Eric won it uh, for that short period of time, and and with Flair just had a lot of prestige. I, I hate to say this cause I, but uh, yeah, I think you'll know where I'm coming from. It was like, that was the belt. Yes. Um, you know, the WWF belt. Oh, it's a company champion. Yes. Uh, 
it's just sort of that mentality. And that, that may be a Southern thing or a territory thing, but uh, the NWA was a traveling champion um, and, and wasn't, you know, growing up here in my home territory, you didn't have the, the world champion every week. It was something that came and went. And so knowing that we were going to be, you know, one night a week and 26 shows and all that kind of mentality, I, I can remember, remember having that thought. And that the first time it came into my brain, Conrad, was in the summer of no worries. Like, wonder what's going on with that championship? And you'll have to dig up who the champions were in 01 and, and early 02 or, or 2000. But but just knowing the prestige of that belt and NWA obviously wasn't, you know, wasn't what it once was. Um, but, but navigating our way through it, um, and, and really thinking what happens if the TNA champion, uh, because that's a startup and that's a company champion as well. What happens if it became the NWA champion? And my dad wasn't a big fan of that in, in the very first conversation because he realized what the NWA once was yeah. and then what it had become. Uh, but I was, uh, it was my idea from the beginning. Uh, I, I really got into it. The more and more I thought about it, it could, uh, give us a shot in the arm. It could help brand us. And, and look, when you're writing professional wrestling, it's a story. Yeah. And so if you have a lineage that starts in 2002, or you have a lineage that starts in 1905, I'm going with the 1905. Sure. So you can legitimately come on and script your pro promos. I hate to use that word, but you know, in your promos, talk about Ricky steamboat and talk about Ric Flair and talk about the funks and all that. So I was a huge, I really wanted to make the deal happen because I thought it could instantly give us credibility to the lapsed WCW fan. And in fairness, they needed it. Mike, Mike Rapata was the uh, NWA champ in September of 2000. Two months later, Sabu would beat him. Five weeks later, Mike Rapata wins it back. Five months later, Steve Carino is the champ. Now that's on the heels of ECW. He wins, he wins that title, April 24th, 2001. So Carino is probably, you know, a very worthy uh, champion. Uh, but then in December of 01, Shinya Hashimoto would win again. I think you could make an argument for him. Ultimately, Dan Severn wins the title March 9th, 2002. I'm sure we're going to talk about Dan, but Dan would be the last guy to hold it before TNA becomes a thing. And on the very first TNA show, as we all remember, Ken Shamrock became the champion and boy, there's some irony there with Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock. We'll talk about later, but when you first have the idea of, Hey, we could do well by them. And by them, we mean the national wrestling Alliance, because there is still a small group of NWA promoters who are trying to hang on as independents. And they grew up in the same area you and I did. And they really liked the idea of the NWA still existing and then being a part of it. But by and large. It's, uh, not very well promoted. So who do you have those conversations with as best as you can remember about, Hey, how do we put together an NWA deal? And is the name bill Barron's involved at all? Because it feels like he was the guy that I was most familiar with in the South. And then I guess up North, it was probably Carluzzo, but who were you talking to about? Hey, what if on this NWO idea or NWA so idea? Let me just back up a little bit, Conrad, uh, give you a little bit more context. Uh, in 1988, it, it, maybe there's an episode in the future on this, all the talent that came through Tennessee. 
but um, a guy named Shinji Hashimoto mm-hmm. came with Goto. Uh, and so, and Chono was in Alabama. So though they were the young boys in new Japan. So I knew Hashimoto firsthand, you know, I, I'd work with him a lot. Um, and, and also um, Mike Rapata was a middle Tennessee. Uh, we'll get to Burke Prentice uh, probably later in this episode uh, in the Huntsville promotion. But anyway, Bert, uh, Mike Rapata was a Burt Prentice guy. So anyway, I, those two guys I knew firsthand, obviously Carino. I mean, the whole list. Yeah. Uh, so that whole mindset, that was like, I don't say in my backyard, but in my, in, 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 in my headspace. Uh, so it, but the names of the NWA and I had to do some digging, obviously me and Bill Barron's go back to the late eighties as well. Uh, working, uh, he did some syndication for my father and, and I'd known Bill, you know, not the day that I broke in, but early, early. Um, uh, so, so Bill w- was one person. There's a guy named Jim Miller up in Pennsylvania. Uh, there was Fred Rubenstein. Uh, there were the different, uh, territorial areas. So they had a board and I had to do, do my research. And I know Bob Trobich over in the Carolinas. So there was a group of promoters that were, um, not like it is today with Billy Corgan, Billy Corgan bought the name, the rights, the from Tharp, it's a whole different mindset. Back in uh, 2002, it still was a quote unquote sanctioning body, like it used to be with Munchnik and Von Eric and Crockett and Graham. You know all those names. It was still a a a uh, sanctioning body uh, of of promoters that controlled the titles. And so I was talking to all of them. Bill was my conduit from the very beginning but then it opened up into the the larger group discussion. So let's talk about, you know, is that an easy deal to put together? I mean, are some of the independent promoters trying to undermine it and say, Oh, we don't want to do that. Or, or if we're going to do this, we still need to have some say, and we need to have some power or how how does that become a a happy marriage? If you will. And so it was a process of phone calls. And, and I'll call it pitching the deal. Remember, everybody that was on that board remembered the quote unquote, and I'm here goes that uh, T-shirt quote unquote. But anyway, remembers the glory days uh, of, of the NWA. So what made those the glory days, comparatively speaking, to 2002? That distribution. They were on TV. They had a, um, a, a means for their traveling champion to appear uh, on television. At this time, again, no WCW went away. They just didn't have, you know, there was no exposure to it. And we were going to give uh, a Wednesday night platform of a pay-per-view to give some prestige uh, to that title. And also all the, the all these pro- local promoters knew that, okay, they're running just on Wednesdays. They're going to get priority to book the champion. They're going to get the champion to be booked at a discount. They're going to get the tag champs. So the NW name is going to be on TV on Wednesday nights or be on pay-per-view on Wednesday nights. But with that being said, they're going to have the ability to monetize their asset on Fridays and Saturdays on a continuing basis. So that was the upside to them that you can have a champion now like you have and keep heading down that path. And they weren't making anything. That's something that I'm so it it almost makes my, I I love the fact that how healthy independent wrestling is. It is truly the lifeblood in in 2021 in 2001, 2002. Conrad, I don't know if you even realized, because you were, I I don't know if you, how involved you were. I mean, independent wrestling was dead. 
embarrassingly bad yeah. in, in so many ways. And I'm not saying every promotion, it just isn't anything like it is today. I mean, over in the UK, they had, a. I, I think their independent wrestling scene began to grow a little before ours back here in the States did, but anyway, it was dead. So the NWA promoters had the choice. We can keep on keeping on and doing the exact same thing. And are they going to expect a different result or are they going to give us a shot again? If it didn't work out, no harm, no foul. So let's talk a little bit about part of the trade-off. I mean, I remember on these early episodes, you were actually promoting, we've got live events. The NWA has live events coming this weekend and you're running on your pay-per-view essentially like a scroll and, and, and trying to help them sell tickets. That's that feels like a, uh, a nice marriage for you guys. We, I mean, uh, again, I knew, and, and I think everybody around me knew we were a startup, Yeah, but quicker that we can, um, promote the fact that we're a walking, talking, living, breathing, no matter how small we were, that, that we're, we're up and running and we have champions and we have a lineage that dates back to, uh, 1905 and. These were our former champions of this championship, and there was a legitimacy to that. And we have live events here down in Texas and Pennsylvania and wherever it may be. So, yeah, it was a it it was good for both brands. Hey, man, let me smarten you up on something that I learned, I guess, what, last year? Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. I learned this the hard way. But here's a pro tip for you. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. Oh, and they're reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear, like an airline. <laughs> RockAuto.com is for everybody. They don't require a membership or an account login. They want to save you some cash. And this is really proven out for me and my family. I think I mentioned this a while back. I got my dad his dream Corvette, an old classic way back when, uh, but I got it for him on his 60th birthday a few years ago. Well, those cars occasionally are going to need parts. We couldn't find anything locally. You know who could hook us up? RockAuto.com. You see, RockAuto.com is where I went for my family because RockAuto.com is a family business, and they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for all of your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have something for everybody. We're talking stuff from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, hell, motor oil, even carpet. That's right, carpet for your car. Now, this is not just for old classics. This is for your daily driver, too. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So easy, even JR could do it. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specs, and prices you prefer. Now, best of all, prices at rockauto.com, once again, reliably low all the time. And more importantly for me, they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why in the world would you spend up to twice as much for the same doggone parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write my world in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. This is critically important. If you want to save cash, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. But don't forget to write my world and their how did you hear about us box to let them know that J-E-F-F, J-A-F-F, you know the deal. Let them know we sent you. 
And we thank rockauto.com for sponsoring today's podcast. Your dad being the ultimate entrepreneur. I mean, you've told us a lot here that, oh, you know, then he started this business and then he got in that business. He was always the sort of self-employed guy. He was never the, well, yeah, I'm going to go work for that fellow there. That's not really his bag. So I'm <laughs> saying all that to say, I mean, is that fair to say? I don't know him, but I just, when you look at his resume, he ain't punching a lot of clocks for a lot of folks. Okay. Qu- quick download, quick yeah. sidebar. He, uh, promoted uh, wrestling shows in his high school days. Yeah. Met my mom. They were high school sweethearts. Uh, he went off, played one year of college football, came back home. That didn't work out. Went to college, went to, uh, a, basically a nine to five Murray and Ohio manufacturing. They made bicycles here in Nashville. He was a corporate guy. Uh, he had worked his way up the ladder. He was like 26, 27 years old. And his mentor was like, 42, 43, but had like, I like this kid. I'm going to rise him up. And my dad went into work one day and that 42 year old man was fired on the spot because they were downsizing. They, he never did anything wrong. It was as we both know today called downsizing. Yeah. And he was shocked and said, wait a minute, I'm never going to put myself in a position to have just because this company wants to downside, which he thought at the time was a mistake. That wasn't the solution, but I'm sure it was fat expense account, you know, business yeah. people. But anyway, so the downsides, that was a, a day that he will tell you today radically changed his life and said, I can at least control my destiny. I'm going back to promoting wrestling like I did in high school as my summer job. Well, now he's a 27 year old man, got the bug, Tojo Yamamoto's around, sailor uh, art. Uh, there's a couple of guys. My grandmother was full time in the wrestling business, and she's like, The hell you're getting in the business. So she went, he went around her back to get trained to wrestle. We'll pick that up another point. But your point is that's what turned him into an entrepreneur when he saw his best friend, mentor get fired on the spot. And, and they cleaned his desk out for him and he witnessed it. And they said, we're going to put you in his position. I know you're 27, but we're going to, you're going to learn the ropes. And he's like, I'm not prepared for this. And now I'm, he felt guilty. I'm doing my buddy's job anyway. So that's, you're right. He's definitely been an entrepreneur his entire life, but now he's signing up to go work for a failing enterprise, the national wrestling Alliance, while it does have a lot of legacy and you can lean on that from a promotional standpoint and say 1905 and yada, yada. It's not exactly like the NWA is doing well here. And it feels like he's going to be in a position where he's not totally in control. Was your dad sold on this? Was he comfortable or did he think, son, why don't we just, you know, we don't need to be called NWA TNA. Let's develop our own brand and we own it. Why do we need to ask these other fellows who aren't putting any money in their permission? He, he, he was. He didn't think there was a lot of value. Again, here it is. The son telling the father, no, dad, there's a lot of value in the NWA title. Yeah. But the deal was this, Conrad, is that the, 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 the TNA Entertainment uh, at that time, J-Sports, we were controlling the heavyweight and the tag titles, and we were licensing their name. They had no control over us. They were definitely weren't going to put up any money. They were getting, quote, unquote, the best end of the bargain from a startup position. They got to have the champions. They were going to get them at discounted rates. Um, what was their risk? And, and I'm asking you so, so you can help frame it in your mind. Tell me what their risk was at this time. They don't have any, but I also know how, um, egos can be in wrestling or in business. 
a lot of these guys, in my opinion, again, I'm just freestyling. They probably felt like, well, I got my own promotion. I'm part of the NWA. I'm on the board. You know, well, that and $8 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. It doesn't really matter, but I just know that that's a thing. I mean, once upon a time, there's a famous story of a guy in the back bragging about, well, you should see my quarter hours, my last quarter hour, blah, blah, blah. And everybody just sort of looks at him like, is this for real? So in my head, uh, th- there's gotta be some promoters who were like, I'm on the board. I get to decide who's champion. I have voting power, even yes. though they're running a show with 250 fans twice a month, twice a month is stretching it sometimes twice a year, okay. in some state. but look, it was, um, you know, I'm coming off my WWF WCW run. I'm a young 30 year old guy. But I also have the gray hair in the room with my father, who was, you know, one of the last territory promoters. And so our, our pitch was, look, you can head down the road that you're continuing down. But what is that really got you? Right. Um, as far as and look, we're talking about, you know, and we're floating names out there at the time that, you know, uh, of a Ken Shamrock. And I don't know specific names, but I'm sure we probably divulge that. Look, we are talking to Savage or Warrior or. Who knows what name we're throwing out there? You know, Road Dog or, or K Quick at the time. Or I, I don't know any specific names, but the most important thing is they're going to be on pay per view every Wednesday. Yeah. A bigger platform than what you have down Correct. at the National Guard Armory. Yeah. But no, no real downside. And yeah. if it didn't work, it didn't work. So when we're talking about their current champion, I guess we should just skip to that. Because you mentioned Ken Shamrock. You know, you've got a commitment from him, which is great. And he is, he has been marketed as the world's most dangerous man. WWE wrestling fans are familiar with him. UFC fans are familiar with him and he's about to, and this is what a crazy year this is for Ken that I don't think really gets talked about. He's the winner at the first NWA show and becomes the NWA world champion, which is cool, but it's the kickoff sort of TNA show. So he is for lack of a better word, the face of the promotion. The first time we really see it. And then later that year, he's going to set a UFC record against Tito Ortiz at UFC vendetta, uh, number 40. I mean, that is the most profitable pay-per-view in UFC history at a time when Dana and the Fertitas were just hemorrhaging cash. And this is the one that pulls them out of it. And it was largely due to Shamrock and Tito sort of wrestling it up in their promos and the hype and the promotion and the build, but that all happens in the same year. Now at the time, here's the issue. Dan Severn is the NWA world champion, and he is not going to make himself available for this show. Your dad wrote in his book that he decided to take an independent booking that day instead. And I can't help, but wonder that that's probably because you guys didn't really see a lot of quote unquote money in him. So maybe he thought, oh, so they just want me to come in on the big stage and lose the belt. Nah, I just won't make myself available and y'all have fun with your new promotion, but if I'm just coming in to lose, I think I'd rather just not come in. Is that about it? Isn't it amazing how the assumptions, and I'm assuming yeah. that you're making right now, or it's coming from his book, or maybe a Keller or a Powell or a, a Meltzer, you're assuming that we were going to have him walk in the door as champion, right? Well, he is the NWA champion. And so uh, okay. I, I don't know that he knew the creative, but when your dad says he's not going to be available, I just sort of do two and two. Okay. Wrong. 
bad move. <laughs> and, and to go back on Shamrock, that you said kind of history will, will show itself. And, and because you said it right, hemorrhaging that feud, and it was a feud yeah. scripted, that set them into a whole nother stratosphere on and the, on the heels of, of Ortiz Shamrock, they do the ultimate fighter. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm telling you, it, it, they were off and running. Yes. It was great. And it, just because, but I'll go back to Kenny. I think Kenny, he's just got a great aura about it, especially yes. coming off of, of this time frame. So anyhow, the, the conversation that I had with the NWA folks was, um, Hey guys, do what you got to do, but, uh, show one, of TNA, it is a 1905 lineage, but we're starting from scratch and we're going to have a match to crown the first ever champion. Dan coming in as champion or even on the show was never a consideration ever. Well, okay. You're saying even on the show, but your dad said he, he was advised that Dan had taken another booking. So at least your dad had interest in having him there. Just stay in a loud and clear voice. You had no interest in Dan Severn. Okay, I'm gonna be real. You, you, it's, it's amazing though that whether it's Meltzer or my dad or a book that that, hey, no, very clear. Dan Severn was not going to be a part of NWA TNA, and I'll stop right there. Period. Okay, well, uh, why not? Um, it, look, uh, creative is subjective, and in my subjective creative mind. I, 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 I didn't see any drawing power. Look, he's a nice guy. I worked Great guy. With him, Great guy. With him at uh, WWF with that, uh, prestigious NWA debacle, uh, that, that, that we will probably get into on a deep sure. episode in year seven of this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, I, I love Dan uh, from a, from a personal, but, but him, I don't think his promo skills and, and his, uh, I, I don't think he's total nonstop action. Kenny had an aura about him. He could go. He had learned the WWF style that I'd been in the ring with him. You know, Kenny had that. I don't know if you remember on Raw, me and Kenny had a match where he was in a straight jacket. Yeah. I had a match with a guy in a straight jacket. And and a lot of people said, oh, what a helpful match. And I think, try Kenny on for size. He's having to work a match in a straight jacket. And he did it. So Kenny had a really good skill set. Um, very believable. Um, and, and again, going back to context as King. Kenny was anything but tits and ass. Oh, he yeah. Straight up. And so that's the yin and the yang of the promotion that I wanted to come out of the gate. We're the alternative. And yes, we're going to have girls dancing in cages. And yes, we, we may have T.O. and Puppet and, 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 and uh, little guys and, and all that and, and some craziness and flying Elvises. But we're also going to have a champion from night that dates back to 1905. And his name is the world's most dangerous man, Ken Chambra. So to wrap it back up, no. Dan Severin was never going to be a part uh, of, of episode one or, or in my mind, the, the promotion. Would there have been a way to, you know, have sort of a quote unquote UFC rematch and have Dan Severin versus Ken Shamrock happen because it never happened with the WWF. Was there any interest at all in what if we tried to blur the lines and say, Okay, well, with the flying Elvises or the little guys or this or that, but now this, these guys really don't like each other. I mean, this is you UFC know, carrying. I have to do some research. I'm sure in a booking room that somebody probably threw that out over the next two or three years. I, I, I don't recall right now, but uh, as my memory continues to jog itself, but I know in the early days, the vision of the first, we'll say, 
six, eight weeks of crowning tag champs and the X division and the flying Elvises and that type stuff. But, but the NWA champion and having uh, steamboat and having uh, Dory Funk and, you know, Jackie Fargo, who's my childhood idol, but, but could still cut a promo. You know, Jackie could, could a promo to the day he passed away. So anyway, having these champions there and basically giving Ken the rub was the vision I wanted to create. Let's talk a little bit about Bill Barron's. Uh, I was hoping that we could get some Barron's talk on this episode. He's running NWA Wildside, which is out of Cornelia, Georgia. And a lot of big talent came through there that you're going to utilize AJ styles, abyss, and a bunch of others. Uh, how critical was bill to what you're trying to build here as you march towards your first show. Bill's always in myself. We've always had a, just a, I, I don't know, a, a, a fun relationship joking. We always Bill serious when it's time to be serious. I mean, like dead serious. And he's, you know, he's guided AJ styles for 20 years now. So yeah. business wise, Bill doesn't mind rolling up his sleeves and really talking business, but he also likes to have fun. But yeah. he was my conduit uh, and knew all the the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs of the NWA, the board, all the promoters, you know, the convention. Uh, he he was my eyes and ears and resource. And, um, you know, Bill, like you said, he run an independent promotion and he uh, was a, a, a judge of talent. Uh, so, so Bill was a, um, I don't want to say right-hand man that may be going a little bit too far, but he was certainly a, a, a confidant that I would reach out to from time to time to get his, uh, read and pulse on things. Does he have an official role with the new company or is he just a, a friend in business? Uh, 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 he, well, his role was, he was an NWA board member that, that was more or less his, that's why Bill would pick up, I don't say the only reason, but you know, his incentive to pick up the phone was, uh, NWA, um, he was the, the conduit for the NWA and, and our, our brand, uh, was utilizing their brand. So, so he, he didn't have an official role, but he did because he was the conduit between me and the NWA. We briefly touched on ring of honor last week, but as a reminder, they run their very first show uh, in early Oh two. So we'll call it February, uh, Jersey all pro though. When you and I talked off air about how this all came together, uh, and I said, Jersey all pro and you're like, yes, that's it. Tell me about Jersey all pro and, and what role, if any, they had, and Hey, what if we tried to use some independent talent? Well, uh, the vision was always to use, that's where the, uh, homegrown talent were going to come from, whether it was in my backyard in Nashville or Jersey all pro or Japan or Puerto Rico or wherever. I mean, you know, I, I knew from day one, we've got to get some established stars, right? Name recognition, but the ultimate goal was to start creating our own stars. And it just doesn't happen overnight. Again, my Vince McMahon lesson, Hey Jeff, I'm going to bring you in and a year from now, we're going to start pushing you. What? And that's with WWF TV. That's, that's a really good lesson even today to, to, to know that you can't really start doing angles till people care about you. So to care about you, you got to have just time and consistency. But um, that being said, Jersey All Pro and, and Ring of Honor and uh, the, 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 the time frame, but I was working for Billy Firehawk, um, Cyberspace Wrestling, 
and that was up around the New Jersey area. Uh, uh, so, so anyway, Jersey All Pro, they had a series of events, and I kept hearing it probably Jeremy Borash and others saying, "Hey, they're doing this, and they're you know they're having shows, and, and they're pretty successful." Um, what about this talent? And and to to, to nail one or two talent, oh, I, I, oh it's Loki, it's Homicide, it's Amazing Red, it's the SATs, it's Danny yep. Moff, yeah, all those guys. Okay, there you go. Groups of talent around the country, you know, Chicago contingent for a while. And we had a Canadian contingent. I'm getting too far ahead, but that first year of TNA, I mean, that's how Bobby, uh, rude and Eric young and, and, and others, but anyway, so pockets of independent wrestling, um, we were looking for from day one. What's the name of that, uh, Canadian promotion, ICW or something like that. Canadian or you talk the one I just referenced cyberspace. No, no. The one in Canada where, where Kevin Steen and all those dudes were. Oh Lord. Oh, my God. it's going to, it's going to drive me nuts. I'll think about it. All right. We'll, we'll come back to it. Anyway, Borash, you mentioned him a minute ago and he kept mentioning the Jersey all pro shows. Uh, again, context is King. Was he enamored with Loki? It feels yeah. like in this era, Loki was like a lot of people considered, Hey man, that could be the next big thing. That's okay. now blah, blah, blah. You saying was, was Borash or just were we either? I thought I feels, it feels like Borash would have been like, Jeff, you got to see this guy. Sure. Oh no, no, no. Th- th- there was, there was a group, like you just said, um, several, Hey guys, they, they've got some really good stuff. Uh, it was like first time, uh, the AJ styles and, you know, different names. Hey, when we get there and, and knowing sort of the vision of the X division that look, I'm a territory guy and I'd been with both companies and storylines and, uh, you know, it even irritated me in 2002. Oh, they're just a bunch of flippity floppity guys. No, they're really not guys. That that's, that's like fashion. The NBA game now. Oh, they got a damn three-point line. Yeah, and the game's better because of it. Th- that whole mentality. So yes, uh, so JB was a fan of Loki, but we all were of his style. Just a dynamic performer. By the way, I don't know what I was thinking. IWS in Montreal. That's who we were thinking about. In, in Montreal. That's it's uh it's not Toronto, my friend. Get your Canadian GI. I, I said I said Canada. I know. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk. Conrad, you busting balls again? No, because <laughs> I was going to say we can go right to Shivani mode if you want. I'm fresh off of that today. Oh boy, chat me up about budgeting. <laughs> you know, you and I are um, we've both ran a few businesses in our day, and so sometimes we have to balance what do the fans want creatively. How can we make the boys happy? How can we put the best product out there? But most importantly, at the end of the day, how do we do all of that to turn a profit? And a lot of independent shows are not really ran that way, but now this isn't like a part-time thing. You're pushing, pushing all of your personal life savings in on this. You are pardon the pun all in. So with that in mind, I, I believe there's probably a methodology to, we can't just book as many stars as we can, or, or we want. We do need to make a big splash on our first show, but moving forward, we need more of this homegrown talent that we can sort of give a big platform, whether they're coming from Cornelia, Georgia or Jersey, all pro or Ian rotten or Canada or wherever, let's give them some exposure, but we need a handful 
of, of marquee names. And so a lot of independent promoters to this day who have been running for a long, long time, you'll see a poster full of guys. He's trying to make his local stars and then a guy or two who are sort of the, the names that'll get the casual wrestling fan off the couch and down to the local arena. What was your methodology? We need one big name per show. We need two big names per show. Did you have something like that in mind with regards to laying out a budget? Sure. Coming out of the gate, I wanted the first four to six episodes to be as, as big and as loud and as broad as possible. And, and the methodology I'll use your term, you know, coming from the territory days of Memphis on Monday, Louisville on Tuesday, Evansville on Wednesday and Nashville on Saturday. Those are all weekly towns. And, and knowing a one-page budget for each of those shows and how it was promoted and how it was run. And, you know, uh, there was uh, the biggest return on investment was always Memphis, Mid-South Coliseum. It was uh, Lawler's Backyard. The, t- the, the territory was built around that, that city. So, you know, you always put more resources toward Memphis then you did Evansville and folks will tell you this day, the Evansville payday was terrible. I mean, absolutely terrible, but it was a somewhat of a necessary evil. If you will, it gave, um, we had the TV in that market, uh, which didn't cost us a penny. Uh, we got to run spot shows, lots of spot shows, the armories. So, so there, it was a method to the madness and we did Evansville, Evansville, Indiana every Wednesday. So you didn't, you know, Austin Idol would come in. You had Idol in Memphis and maybe Louisville. Yeah, you, you know, Lawler uh, sometimes. You know, just it, it depends on how it's viewed. But the first six shows, I, I know that I completely busted the budget uh, or at least had the mindset from a talent perspective uh, to go up front. But, you know, as it was going to roll out, that over time, two to three big stars, I always in my mind was have one marquee main event that people will pay 10 bucks to see. And the semi main event would be the build or a couple of semi main events would be the build for the following. So it's a rotating main event basis, but no more than four, probably uh, if I had to completely do the best recall I can, but no more than between two and four uh, name value talent per show. So here's a silly question, but you know, we're going to get into the business piece of this without investors at this point, how are you able to put together budgets for the show? Or are you just doing it based on, Hey, well, I know we're going to get some funding or Hey dad, I know our nest egg can get us to here. What's that process look like before you have a firm commitment from everybody? I, I wanted to get a 26 show yearly budget and basically multiply it times three in my account. It always go up in year two and always go up in year three, just escalating. But long before, I mean, when I went to Scrooge, I had to have a, had to have a plan or before I was going to go to, uh, you know, people, banks or whoever I was going to go to, I had to have a business plan and, you know, through Keith Mitchell uh, and, and, and different production folks. So I you build a pro forma. Right. Exactly. What it's called. Uh, yes. do, you, do you do like a good, better, best? Cause a lot of performers will show like, Hey, if we yeah. have a record year, Hey, if the we have a terrible year and Hey, here's about average. Do you do like that model? Yes. Uh, my, my, yes. The, my accounting firm that I still use to this day, they, that's what they do. Business valuations and performers and, you know, uh, low, medium and high risk. Cause again, it was a startup. So 
that's how it was cached. Low risk, medium, yeah. So th- three different stages. However, you want to, yeah. Whatever label you want to give it, but yes, that's what the performa entailed with the production. Uh, again, uh, you know, we hadn't got to it yet, but the Monterey artist, the booking agency, and the television number. Um, so ticket sales and, you know, there, we didn't, I don't even think we put a penny in for merch, but I, we might've put a little bit in there, maybe on the, on the high one, super successful. But anyway, we put in the performer. Um, so yes, that's how the budget was scaled. Do you think you have that old performer on a hard drive somewhere? You know, I've got, I have told you this, I've got boxes and boxes of old kinds of stuff. Uh, I used to, I'm still a pack rat, but I mean, I had my 1988 taxes, uh, 86 taxes up until five, six, seven years. I mean, just crazy stuff. So I'm, I feel certain I'll have a J sports, some type of documentation. I don't know. Yeah, I do. I I think I've got something. We got to dig that out and find that. All right. Time out. You know, we love our sponsors here on the show and we'd like to welcome a new one, Adam and Eve. Check this out. Free stuff. How do you beat free stuff? Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up your bedroom is even better. You can select almost any item for 50% off. And then Adam and Eve will load you up on the free stuff. All you've got to do is enter Jeff at checkout and you'll get 10. That's right. 10 tantalizing free gifts, sexy item for him, a special gift for her. And a third item they tell us you'll both enjoy. Plus six free spicy movies. Let's check this out. Six movies, something for him, something for her. A third item you're both going to like. And up to 50% off almost any item. How do you beat this? What about free shipping? That's right. You heard me. All these free prizes. And it's all because you selected almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. Hurry to adamandeve.com and enter Jeff. That's J E F F. I almost said double F. That's J E F F. The offer code is Jeff. You enter that promo code at adamandeve.com at checkout and boom, you're hooked up. So get all these free gifts and 50% off on almost any one item over at adamandeve.com. That's adamandeve.com and at checkout, use promo code J E double F. J E F F. You know what to do. Come on. Adamandeve.com. From, from memory, I know there's no way you'll recall, but guess, what do you think the budget was? The reason I ask is because the observer had an idea. They said, quote, being very conservative with bare budget production and satellite uplink break even would probably be 125 grand per week. To me, that seems way low. Break even. I want to make sure that. 125 grand revenue. Like he, he assumes that you're going to have 125 grand outlaid every week to get the show on the air. And, and obviously you're hoping to sell double that and pay-per-view value. So I, I can remember roughly the number to go to Huntsville, to go to Dayton, to go to Nashville was in the 200 range. Okay. But that's getting two episodes. So a hundred a week. So, so, uh, roughly a hundred a week. Now, is that throwing in overhead? But Conrad, the reason I, I, I'm so in tune with that number, and when we went to a fixed location that dealing with uh, Dallas and Panda, it, it was under a hundred. You know that that 
at some point in those early days of Panda, the, the question was, we're not going to hold you to an exact number. What can you produce a show weekly? Here's, here's what I'm struggling with. And I, I'm not trying to beat up on dear old dad, but yep. how does he come up with 800 grand in his book? He referenced that the cost of this first show was 800 grand. I guess with him and ask him, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's talk about, um, the issue with pay-per-views and we've touched on this before, but this is still the case to this day. As far as I know, the concept is if you run a pay-per-view and a bunch of people buy it, you've got to that day pay for your production costs, pay for the people who are lighting, uh, who are setting up the lights, the people who are running camera, the people who are producing in the truck, you got to pay for that truck. You got to pay for your satellite time. You got to rent the building. You got to have insurance. You got to have ticket takers. You got to have security. You got to have just your wrestling crew. You got to have referees. You got to have guys put together the ring. You got to have guys call the matches, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the night, everybody gets an envelope. Now here's the trouble with that. The only cash you have is whatever cash came in from the box office. And then we wait. Because if you bought the pay-per-view at home and yes, you committed to spend twenty nine ninety five or whatever it was for that old wrestling pay-per-view, you're not going to get billed for it until next month. And if things are a little tight and you don't have it automatically drafted out of your account, you might not pay it for a whole nother month. So now we're two months removed from that before you ever pay for your pay-per-view. But when you pay for your pay-per-view, it goes to the local cable system and then they have to pay their partners. And eventually some of that money comes back to someone like in demand. And then in demand has to tally it all up, do their accounting, and then they disperse. So this is not what most people would be familiar with in the business world of what we would call a net 30 type invoice where 30 days after we do the thing, we're going to get paid. Instead, this is way worse. You're not telling wrestlers, Hey, can't pay you till I get paid. Nope. You're fronting cash all over the place because you wanted to play big time promoter. So now put your big boy pants on. And just go do it five more fucking months before you get paid for that first one. That's the reason ECW went out of business. And it's gotta be something that is at least on your mind of, Hey, wait a minute. We're going to run out of our cash, the Jarrett money pretty quickly. We need investors. The investors are simply there. And even these bank loans we were talking about last week with your dad, your dad is simply trying to get some sort of line of credit that you can assure or insure against your accounts receivables. The idea being, Hey, Mr. Banker, we know we sold this many pay-per-views. Here's our contract with our pay-per-view provider. So that tells you what the split is. So you can do the simple country math of this many buys times this amount that I'll net from the show. I'm going to have this money in a few months. Give me a low interest loan because you can take that cash back. I just need a little bit now to keep the train on the tracks, but we've got to find that money from somewhere, right? Jeff, either an investor or a bank. Correct. And it's like a spec home. You ever, and yes. you're so good with numbers, but your analogy just in the office of first family, uh, uh, last week, it, you know, uh, about what the banks are really in the business of buying and selling money. Yes. End of story. And if you build a spec home, then you have to go to the bank and say, Hey banker, can I buy this lot? And I'm, I'm being the builder. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I buy this? Okay. So now there's, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to go real easy numbers to, to, uh, explain. Okay. 30 grand for the lot. Okay. Then I've got a, or the foundation. Okay. That's another 10 grand. 
Then I got to have it in frame. That's another 20 grand. Then I got to have drywall. That's another 10 grand. Then I got to have appliances. Then I got to have this. And you go all the way up. We got to put a roof on this thing. It's going to take you about a year, let's just say, to build the house. And you've got a hundred that whatever I'm hypothetically saying a uh, hundred hundred grand into this spec home and you don't have one buyer yet. Yeah. Not one. Then you sell it for whatever it may be, but that banker has bankrolled your spec house who, when you started it, this person might not have even lived in your community, but the banker said they're going to build a good enough house and it's going to be pretty. And when you get done, Hopefully, and I'm going to bank on it <laughs> and I'm going to sell you some of my money. And when you, when I sell you this money, I'm going to get my money back and I'm going to make three or 4% interest or whatever the loan is. And you're going to be selling a house and you go to the next house and the next house. And, and I'm trying to make it simple, but Conrad, you know where I'm going. Yeah. Yes, that, that was the mindset. But the, the sort of cautionary tale of what happened with ECW, where we've got people who are, who are buying tickets to our live events. People are buying our merch. Uh, people are watching our, our television. Uh, we have action figures. We have a magazine. We're checking all the boxes and we're on pay-per-view and by God, people are buying them. But that lack of cash flow is what drowned them ultimately. Right. I, I don't, I, I, to this day, I don't really, I'd love it. You had to get a, you had to get to a podcast with Paul Heyman. You ever thought of that? <laughs> I think he's busy right now. You know, the, the, I, I was not aware of that story. You know, um, I, I, I didn't dive into it. We're going to not jump ahead, but Jay Hosman and, and his team. And, and that was who I hired to, uh, that, that was his problem, not problem, but that was, he, he was, in charge of collecting the money and staying on top of it. And he assured me he could do this and assured me he could do that. But, but also I, I knew we had to have investors, um, or, or a revolving, uh, credit and not some 90 day deal. It was again, going back to the construction analogy. If the money's coming down the pike, I could be a banker's best friend because he got to continually sell me money and he got to continually make money off that interest. We just had to keep the pipeline fed. Let's talk about some names that we haven't discussed yet. Eric Bischoff. Of course, we know that he was once upon a time, uh, trying to buy WCW and, and do his own thing. It didn't work out. And here it is. There's an opportunity seemingly was, was Eric Bischoff ever even discussed? I know we briefly discussed last week that your dad gave him a shout. What was your relationship like with Eric in O2? I mean, essentially non-existent, you know, I, I had seen him in the last few days and months, uh, and probably the last time that I'd seen Eric, uh, saw Eric at that time. And when you said that last week, it jogged my memory. I'm like, Oh yeah, I think they did have a conversation, but, yeah. but again, we're going to go into bash at the beach. Yeah. And obviously he's on the Hogan side and yeah. there's the Russo side. And then I'm the pawn in the middle yeah. uh, that got played like a fiddle on one hand. Then on the other hand, it was what it was. <laughs> uh, but, but so I don't think me and Eric had a good relationship or bad relationship, really just no relationship. He and I've never talked about this, but mm-hmm. it does feel like he should have been a part of the WCW invasion angle that they ran in 2001. Of course, fans are still disappointed with that to this day, yeah. uh, that they bungled it so badly. 
but he does show up for the WWF in 2002, July to be exact. Oh, I can't help, but wonder, wow. Does Vince think, God damn it. Don't let Bischoff work over there. Let's take his ass off the board. The old analogy of maybe it's better to have him pissing in the castle out than pissing out of the castle in. He was a thorn in Vince's side before. Let's see if we can give him a payday and have him come over. Don't let the Jarrett's get a hold of him. This fucker's dangerous. Did that ever cross your mind? I see you in your reaction. Maybe you never even thought of that until now. I never even thought of that. And when you said 2002, you know, I, I can remember vividly watching the ruthless aggression promo from Vince. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to, but watching that promo. And then you just said that about Eric and then look, it's 2021. Looking back over time and and seeing the chess moves uh, that the chairman makes, um, he doesn't mind going for the jugular, even if like he doesn't really get like uh, a fly swatter for a fly. If there's a fly flying around, he gets a cannon. Yeah, there's a cannon, a nuclear bomb, regardless if it's a gnat, a fly, or a bumblebee, or or whatever it is. But you just saying that. I look, maybe at a live show, me, you and Eric can, can have that discussion. Cause that's really interesting how you just damn Conrad. That's why you, uh, the pod father. I mean, he did. I mean, you guys run your first show June 19th, July 15th. He's on raw. It's less than 30 days later. That's crazy. Like to me, it's like a no brainer. Like don't let him get with those guys just in case. Well, uh, sure. Well, look, and, you know, look, look, the, the, it's not even a justification. Eric Bischoff, um, it, look, he's got a lot of great skill sets. It, it's like Karen. I mean, yes, she's my wife and I'm biased, but as an on-screen performer, she's tremendous. There, well, I, I'm saying some folks just have a, 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 an affection. A, a, the, I, I don't want to say the it factor, but it's that connectivity to a camera lens. Eric's got it. Charisma. I mean, I mean he, 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 he's got it to this day. I mean, he, he can deliver a promo. He did it the other night. You, you just like, he is even if he says a few words anyway. So yes, uh, I, I, I <laughs> wow. What a revelation today, but, but old Benny back calling Eric back. Say, hey, uh, come on back. Hey, hadn't seen you in two years, pal. <laughs> so the other name that I, I wanted to sort of dovetail in with Bischoff is Jason Hervey. Now, a lot of fans grew up with him on the wonder years. And they remember seemingly out of nowhere, he starts showing up on WCW programming. And we find out, well, it's because, uh, T and the, the parent company is, is involved. And obviously, um, there's a real life relationship once upon a time with Hervey and, uh, Missy Hyatt, but Hervey and Bischoff are super tight. And that's a real life thing in, in the WCW era. How does Jason Hervey become part of the TNA story? It's, it's, it's fascinating. And me and Jason, uh, he lived here in Nashville for a while. And when he came back and worked for impact, we were on a flight from Orlando early morning flight. in uh, one of those Southwest where we ended up, uh, look, we sat across the mile for each other. And I told him this story and he just looked across the aisle and go, you've never told me this. Uh, so, oh boy. Okay. I'm just to, to make sure that, that, uh, I explain this and Conrad feel free to stop me at any time. I'll say that. Okay. So Bobby Randall of Sawyer Brown was how I originally met Richard Scrushy in the late nineties. 
Richard Scrucci, the CEO of HealthSouth, who later became the uh, primary uh, financial partner of TNA Entertainment, prior Carter family. Bobby Randall and Richard were tight. Somehow, some way, Hervey and Scrucci became buddies. I don't know what the connection was, but they became buddies. And Hervey was talking about TV shows and Jason's background, but I had never really connected. Oh, that's the guy that was on WCW Saturday nights or, or, you know, that, that whole WCW, uh, affiliation affiliation. Yeah. But then I started hearing this and Bobby Randall didn't have very good things to say about Hervey at, at all. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he's saying this because Scrushy with Atlantic records had a record deal and Bobby was intricately involved as, as a part of the music record deal, but Randall didn't like Hervey for whatever reason. Fast forward to April and we're about there. I drive from Nashville to Birmingham to have my meeting with Scrushy, uh, to, to, to pitch the performa and everything that goes with that. And I pull up to a light outside health South headquarters. And it's one of those deals. It's, it's an early, whatever day morning, uh, or right after rush hour, because we were the only two at the light. And I look across and Jason is in this two door Mercedes and he's sitting there with the shades on. And I go, I know that dude. And, you know, it's like when the light turns green, his light turned green and he rolled right in front of me. And I'm like, I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. And off he went. And I did not connect the dots. Go up and have a meeting with Richard off and running. Years later, I have this recall and I go, I will be damned. That was Jason Hervey at the light who had just left a meeting with Richard. And that's my first that's a, that's a sidebar of a story, but Richard, uh, and, and Jason were buddies. And then obviously me and Richard were buddies, but Jason had nothing to do with TNA in the early days. Richard was b- bouncing out ideas on television stuff to, 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 to them, you know, so anyway, that movie was let, not involved other than being Richard's friend. And he worked for Hell South. Did you know yeah. that? Oh yeah. He was on the payroll. That was a, there was a big and I don't know exactly what it was, but I don't think, I think her, Hervey was trying to, I don't know, but, but there was big time dislike from Bobby Randall to Hervey, uh, for whatever reason, um, in, in a big way, he did not speak because Bobby Randall asked me, Hey, do you know this Jason Hervey guy wonder years? And I go, uh, he goes, he's involved in wrestling. I go, Oh yeah, I, I know who you're talking about, but I've never worked with him because I never worked with Jason at WCW days. It just makes me wonder, like, uh, I don't know. It's fascinating that all of that hat came to a head at the same time with Bischoff going to WCW and Hervey's working for health South and health South's one of the primary, uh, people contributing to TNA. It's just weird. It's fascinating. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep going. We're halfway through April. You have the bones of a roster put together, but now you've got to start filling some holes. And one of them is the announced team. Uh, Don West is brought in. And I think the idea is you, you have Don go do like a trial run here locally in Nashville and they just try it out. And the other names that are included in this discussion are Mike today and Ed Ferrara. We're going to break all of that down, but what's fun about Don West is, you know, enthusiasm is contagious. And so a lot of times people make fun of old Jim Crockett promotion stuff and they'll say, oh man. David Crockett sucked. I disagree. I think David's enthusiasm came through 
and you couldn't help be excited because he was excited. Don West is the epitome of that. Even if he wasn't exactly, you know, he's not out there yelling tope suicida. He doesn't know all the moves. He just knows when something's exciting or not. And because he's such a salesman, even if it's not exciting, he's going to do his best to convince you and himself that it is. How does the Don West association come to be? And why do you think, all right, he doesn't know shit about wrestling, but this can work. And here's why. Wow. Uh, several, uh, fa- factors. So the WCW creative, of uh, Russo and Farrar and, and others in the dying days, the Don West name was tabled. And I think there was a conversation or two fast forward to who's going to be the broadcasters. Um, and so when you sort of look at those three that we just mentioned that were on the premiere episode, you can easily know where I'm going with Mike Tanay and the NWA lineage and the professor. And he's going to tell you who the champion was in 1948 and 1962 and how many title defenses. So Mike, great play-by-play guy, great leader. I've always been a huge fan of his work. He knows his stuff, whether it's AAA or whether it's WCW or historian. When me and Mike struck up a friendship at WCW, he would talk the territory days and he knew a guy named Frank Hickey. I mean, Mike knows his stuff that goes without saying. When you look over on the quote unquote <laughs> TNA side of things, Ed Farrar, Hollywood background, uh, tremendous creative mind in, in, in as far as you know and he, he got bashed on doing the jr parody look that wasn't his call but he did it but 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 certainly he's got a uh comedy mind uh, a writer mind all, all, all that so he was going to give the ying to the yang to mike uh, if that makes sense uh and don is he he made a fortune off selling Michael Jordan memorabilia in the nineties, among other things, sports memorabilia. And how did he do it? He's a real sports fan and can tell you every starting lineup, true fact, Conrad of the Chicago Cubs dating back to the fifties. I mean, he is, he is like a true, that's why him and Mike uh, tonight hit it off from day one. They're both super fans, like Uber fans of sports and, and stats and knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I wanted something infectious. I, I, I wanted something different. I wanted something alternative. And again, who's the greatest pair of broadcasters uh, in the modern era? Uh, JR and the King. Okay. You're not going to duplicate them. Right. Not even close. And Jerry Lawler, a guy I was born and raised on from being serious cutting promos, money drawing promos. And he's, uh, I don't call him a comedy act, but he's got one-liners from, you know, that, that was him and Jim's team, but they were so good together. They, I mean, it's, it goes without saying, I knew we weren't even, I wasn't even going to try to compete with those guys. So let's go different. Let's go different and let's have a fan in the booth because you would never think Lawler or Ross were a fan at all. They were authority figures. So Don with his infection and a three-man booth, and and that was one of my main selling points to Don. Don, you don't have to carry the load. Matter of fact, at all, Mike Tanay's very comfortable. He could carry the whole show if need be. And Ed Farrar knows how to tee you up, guide you, this, that. You know, Ed has a creative mind. So Don was just going to be there to be the voice of the fan. Um, Obviously produce, but be the voice of the fan. And so that was the vision of the three-man booth. 
that three man booth. Well, uh, today's the guy because you just respect his history and the lineage and all that, but he's not, you know, I love Mike today, but I've heard other people who like Eric Bischoff specifically, he loves Mike today, but he says, Mike's not a play by play guy. Mike should be the analyst. Mike should be the guy who's chiming in with all the details and the facts and the backstory, but not necessarily the play by play guy. Would you disagree with Eric's assessment of today? So again, I, I think, and, and look, I'll give I tip my hat to Eric, Eric, uh, I shouldn't tell, tell Eric and be an authority on broadcasters because Eric cut his teeth on broadcasting. He probably won't tell me to have how to have a wrestling match, but right. we can't have our opinion about both. Um, and, and I I've never been a real big fan of color and Elberlaco, uh, drop down, you know, we're going to do what a great pair of flying scissors or, or, you know, like call it move by move. I've, I've never been a fan of that, but Mike being the storyteller with an analytical brain that has a lineage that can have recall and have continuity. That was another thing about if we're telling a two hour show every Wednesday night, the continuity and, and a good announcer and Lance Russell could do this uh, and others, Gordon Soley, you know, basically uh, make sense out of nonsense. You ever heard that saying? Conrad? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mike has that way of doing it, that, that some things in our wacky world of professional wrestling may have uh, some, some curveballs and some uh, loose ends that need to be tied up. A, a good announcer can do that for you. And Mike, I, always strongly believe he had that ability. So to Eric's point, being a play-by-play guy, maybe his definition of a play-by-play guy and my definition of a play-by-play-by guy are, 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 are not exactly the same, but I thought Mike could be the lead announcer and play the role of play-by-play, but I'm not a big guy on calling moves. I think that's irrelevant. Let, let the fan who knows that is a whatever it is, let them figure that out. Hello? Good morning. Is Michael there? Yes, this is him. Hi, Michael. This is Dave Silva. I'm calling with Save with Conrad. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? I'm doing great, my friend. I'm doing great. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Okay, so what made you come to Save with Conrad in the first place? I've been a listener to the Conrad podcast for a long time, and you know, you keep hearing the commercials over and over, and you just wonder, what can Conrad you know, do for you? And I couldn't have been more happy with the experience that I was given, you know. I was able to save two months of mortgage payments and take, you know, an additional few years off my loan and, you know, get a better rate. Okay, so I see right here Jimmy helped you out through your through your process. How was it working with Jimmy? Jimmy was great. Always really responsive, always very helpful. Made the process super easy, you know. I was able to do it in the comfort of my own home, over the phone, not have to meet with anyone personally and... Everything that I had a question about, he got back to me fast and made the process super easy to the point where I would recommend it to other people. Was there anything that we could have done better to make the experience for you smoother? No, I mean, I think it was as smooth as it can go with refinancing. How much money was uh, Save with Conrad able to save you? I would say about $50,000. That's awesome. Congratulations, my friend. That's so cool. If you could tell our podcast listeners anything about Save with Conrad, then what would you tell them? I would tell them to just, you know, give Save with Conrad a call. It's not going to hurt. They're not going to waste your time if they can't do anything for you. But if they can do something for you, they're going to be helpful. Just make the process as easy for you as possible. 
save you some money and make your life a whole lot easier, especially during the times that we're in. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you can skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Talk to me. Well, I mean, here's the thing though. Like, um, if you're trying to make a, a sports analogy, I mean, that's sort of what you want the analysts to do, right? Like you don't need Joe Buck saying, oh, they're running a fly route. No, you need Romo say that. Right. But Mike, Mike can do, in my opinion, Mike can still do that today. I mean, he can give you the nuts and bolts of moves and arm bars and submissions and the psychology behind it. Mike can, you know, he, you know, so I'm not arguing that I'm just saying in terms of Joe Buck, who's probably, uh, I'm in my head, he's the play by play and Tony's color Romo. I mean, but Romo is the guy who can uh, name. Let's get the teams, right? It's it. Romo's not with buck, right? Right. I was giving examples. My apologies. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Oh, here we go. Chat me up though, about, you know, why you hate Tony Schiavone personally. And you didn't even consider him. He's sitting at home oh. doing nothing. Why don't you consider him? That's a good question. Why aren't you fair to Tony? <laughs> you volleying at me today? Uh, you know, his, 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 what, name, to, what Tony do to you personally? Not a damn thing. I've always had a great relationship. You tried to drive a wedge there, JR. Well, I'm just saying he could have, you know, he, he desperately wanted to get with the WWE. They didn't call him back. So now he's calling minor league baseball which is, you know, probably not terrible, but it's not where he wants to be. And now there's this new company coming. He did an episode or two and came up with a big beard. I don't think he was engaged in the wrestling business at this time. And I can't hold my finger to that. Don't hold me to that. But Mike Tanay was the name that came to my mind. Um, and I can't tell you why Tony didn't. Here's what I'm saying though. Instead of having my, uh, Tony Schiavone, the voice of our childhood do work on your show. You get the guy who sold baseball, who sold baseball cards instead. True. And not only that, but you get Vince Russo's buddy with dreads. Who's never done it. So you got two guys who've never done it. We'd rather have them than Tony Schiavone. So I just okay. want to know what the heat is with you and Tony Schiavone. You're, there is no heat. And I'll say this. Doesn't that give you a vibe that we want? I, I wanted to be the alternative. Yeah. And I didn't be exactly WCW. When, when it is the voice of WCW, uh, we don't talk about Ed Ferrara enough. It seems like everybody talks about Vince Russo real quick. Is Russo the connection to Ed Ferrara here for you? Or do you see them as two totally different entities? You come always, even at the WWF, when they brought him on board up there, uh, cause therefore while Vince was, you know, I don't say the only writer, but yeah, he, he was the only writer. And then they bought, brought Ed on. And then when Ed was, uh, me and Ed had, you know, that was not an easy year, 2000, but me and Ed worked together a lot. We talked about doing the dusty promo. Um, 
he helped me with the impersonation. Ed's very talented. Um, and, you know, I'll say got that Hollywood background that he looks, you know, now look, Ed trained to be a wrestler. I don't know if you know that. Ed knows the industry from a, uh, one of the boys point of view. He, you know, I don't say he ever, I don't even know if he ever had a match, but he'd been around the wrestling school. So then he went off to Hollywood. So his, um, foundation is somewhat has always been somewhat there, but me and Ed had a really good relationship. So Russo was not the conduit. Me and Ed had our own individual relationship and Ed is a, uh, once you get him going, he's, he's very conversational and knows um, again, he can write promos, but he can also like he, many talent in WCW, especially the power plant guys and all this, he would get them out back or in a room and, and help produce them. Ed can cut not only just impersonations, he can get into character, whether it was a Mark Gendrak or whoever it may be. He helped a lot of guys because he's a good producer. Like Bruce. Bruce is maybe the best, uh, certainly right up there, uh, about, okay, let me take this piece of paper, whether he wrote it or not, but let me get into this character and show this young talent how he thinks it should be done, but they would always finish it by, all right, you make it your own. Give me, let me see what you got. Ed had a great skill set like that. Let's, uh, let's briefly talk about Ed's appearance. The last time we wrestling fans saw him, he was out here mocking, uh, Jr as Oklahoma on WCW programming. When we see him here for you guys, boy, he's got quite the look. I think he's wearing leather pants and a loud shirt and big dreadlocks and Funny shades. Is this him trying to do his best Jesse Ventura impression or is this real life Ed? This is real life Ed. It's a, he, like, like all of us, he's got his quirks, weakness, yeah. but yeah, that, that's his look. And I, and I look, he, he, I, yeah, I, I've never had this conversation with him, but he, I'm sure he was well aware of the last time he was on television for the whole world to see. Yeah. Uh, being a parody. So I'm sure he wanted to bring his game and him and Mike having the conversations and he didn't need to wear a suit and tie out there. He probably doesn't notice. He don't look good. He looks like a trash uh, can in a, in a, in a suit and tie, but no, he, you know, he, he probably wanted to have his own identity. Um, and, and that went along with it. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Scott Hudson. Uh, there's a rumor that you guys were interested or speaking to him was there ever any opportunity to work with Scott or why didn't it happen? He had a full-time job, um, with the government. Um, and I, I knew that, that he had some interest, uh, I, my recall in the, and I'm, if we're talking early, like before our first show, I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but I don't really remember a lot of conversations about Scott, like, a, like, like Tony, I, I don't remember having any, meet on the bone conversations with him. Uh, but I do know that Scott, uh, he had that government job and I don't know exactly when he got, to, so maybe he did this time. I know later when he became a regular on Wednesday nights, uh, he had to work around his job. Here's uh, something from the observer to show how little McMahon regards the threat of Jarrett opening up on pay-per-view Jarrett had asked Victor Quinones and Savio Vega of the IWA to do Spanish language announcing for their show. They have a working agreement with the WWF, although there isn't much to it anymore. They asked McMahon if he would regard that as a problem. And McMahon said he saw no problem in it. So we haven't talked about the Spanish language. 
was that something that you thought, Hey, there's money in them, their heels, or what is the distribution outlet was pay-per-view big in 2002 Meltzer said, he said that I said that Jared asked. So Jerry asked Victor and Savio. Oh, Jerry, Jerry or Jeff, Jerry, Jarrett. Okay. You didn't say that. Okay. Uh, he asked Victor and Savio to do Spanish commentary. And they have a loose affiliation with Vince. So they asked Vince's permission and he said, fine, which means either a, they were trying to leverage and see, maybe we can get locked down and get a better deal. Yes. Uh, or B he wasn't planning on using them anymore or C he just doesn't see this as a threat and thinks it's a <laughs> idea. I, I don't have exact recall, but to my knowledge, I don't think my dad and Victor Quinones had a relationship at all. Uh, and I had the relationship with Savio. I don't think this is accurate. This is the guys feeding Meltzer some shit to up that's, their stock. That's what my gut tells me it, uh, it's not at all. Now, in demand, wanted secondary audio feed uh, from from the very beginning, and I said, "We'll work to get that. That's an expense that you know that ain't cheap. Um, we've got to get a Spanish feed." Um, later, Conan did it. You know, but I had a relationship. Uh, with Carlos and Quinones, everybody in Puerto Rico, which I'm not saying, and I've learned this through the years, you know, that's, there's Puerto Rican Spanish and there's Mexican Spanish and there's Spain Spanish, but, but um, looking for a secondary audio feed. um, I know that in demand, got to remember this is 2002. So it's, 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 you know, and I'd love to, have a recall on what exactly what our contract said, uh, but they definitely wanted it. They, they were very, very, I almost want to say adamant. You got to have this at some point. Hey, um, let's put a button on the NWA thing. I forgot to ask this. Was there any financial contributions for you guys side? Did they say, well, if you're going to use our name, we need 10 grand or some. Okay. No, it it was, again, it was a licensing agreement as in a part of that, the upside for them was not only putting their name on pay-per-view, but they were going to get utilization of the champs first priority, each territory or each promoter was going to get the champion twice a year. There was wording in that contract. Uh, Bert Prentice, a longtime Memphis manager is now running a Tennessee promotion called USA wrestling. He's giving some talent ideas to you guys and looking to be a part of what you're building. And, uh, I think you told me that he played a big role here in Huntsville for the first show. Tell me about Bert. It's a name that a lot of our listeners who aren't familiar with Tennessee may be familiar with. Well, so we ran the Nashville sports arena where Andy Kaufman had a match, but anyway, it it, it was built in 1977 and from 1977 till 90, when did my dad sell out 96, 97? That's another episode, but, but around that time when the, the, when the weekly promotion went away, Bert stepped in and uh, some people remember him as Honey Love, but he was a talent. Uh, but he uh, that traveled, he worked in the Dallas territory. He was a manager, um, and then he just put down roots in Nashville and became a promoter and promoted high school gyms and armories all through the mid-state area. From time to time, he'd get TV. Uh, him and Jerry Lawler to this day have a, a working relationship. They run shows down in Jackson, Tennessee. So Bert has been in the Nashville area. Him and my father were friends. Um, and so Bert had a relationship and in those early days, he had a contract with the building, with the sports arena to keep, I'll say to keep, uh, but, but in his contract, 
not everybody could run that show. Bert had a 30 day window on each side of his dates. So if he ran six shows a year, he got exclusivity in the building, which is smart and, and done all the time. Uh, but Bert was the, uh, I'll say the promoter of record. And if I recall right, he had the contract with the sports arena here in Nashville. In April of Oh two, you make another shot for world wrestling all-stars in Australia. It's the beginning of April. They're going to have a big pay-per-view in April. You're not going to be on that, but you have some unfinished business because when they ran their last show back in Vegas, you left the building as the world champ. So you're going to drop the belt to Nathan Jones in a four-way with Scott Steiner and Brian Christopher. Eventually when they run that pay-per-view, you're not on the show. This is just old school. The right thing to do for business, right? I've done it then. And I've, yes, I mean, that, that was the mentality starting it up, but, um, look, it's, I was their champion and, and do the right thing. And, and again, being around and, and quote unquote, the, the Randy Savage staying in the game, but yeah, it was the right thing to do, to go do this and tie up the loose ends and, and knowing, uh, going back to the McManus mindset, his connections with promoters around the world and his interest in the industry. I thought it was the the right thing to do, not only in the ring, but out of the ring. So you're back with Andrew this time abroad, but you're several weeks removed from him coming to Nashville to visit with you and your dad. Do you, does he check in with you and say, Hey, how are things going with your idea? Uh, does it feel like he's wants to be involved? Is it almost sort of tongue in cheek? Like uh, we'll see. What was that like when you go back to work for him in April? All business. Uh, you could tell that, that the, uh, playing field had changed. But I don't think either one of us wanted to, I don't say stir up anything, but it was, let's go to work. I, I came here to work for you, Andrew. I'm going to get paid. Um, you've done me right financially. I'm here to do the honors, uh, do what's necessary. I'm moving on, and maybe there's a way to work together. There was no friction, no no animosity, and there's never been. Now, we didn't see eye to eye on business pretty early in our career and <laughs> our relationship, but, but from a personal point of view, we never, uh, you know, we always had a good personal relationship, but, uh, yeah, it was, I'm going my way and you're going to go your way. It's worth mentioning a lot of the same guys you're going to use in TNA are here. Uh, AJ styles would defeat Nova on that pay-per-view. Jerry Lynn was on that show, uh, puppet, the psycho dwarf and Tio. They're both on there. Uh, buff Bagwell, Brian Christopher. Uh, AJ styles, we mentioned, uh, Sabu and then Scott Steiner is going to beat Nathan Jones on that pay-per-view to become the champ. Are you making any progression in trying to do business with Scott or is it, is he still taking a wait and see approach here in April? You know, being Scott, uh, we're, you know, probably communicating if not every day, every other day, every couple of days on a friendship level. Yeah. And I was just moving along in, in startup mode and he was doing his thing. And we really didn't discuss a lot of business other than, Hey, we're, you know, we got the McManus tour and we're doing these shots and whatever it may be, but, but, uh, business is business and friendship is friendship. That was the, that was the route. Both of our lives were taken at that time. Let's, uh, let's talk about in demand. In late April, you're making all these moves and all these deals, but you still haven't announced a venue. You don't have financing. You kind of have a deal with in demand. At this point, 
Are you wondering, is this thing actually going to happen? Or do you feel like the strength of the in-demand thing is going to carry you? So you just said we didn't have financing in April. Connor, that's just not true. I've, and I've thought between last week and this week. Well, hang and- on now. You, you're going to get a hold of Richard, but I'm saying before you go meet with Richard, or is it just, as you said last week, delusional optimism? I'm just sort of running through. You haven't announced Huntsville. You haven't secured Scrooge. You have sort of a half-assed commitment from in demand. It almost feels like they, they gave it to you just to stick it up Vince's ass on his failing Wednesday one-off pay-per-views. What, what time frame are we in? What, what, uh, April, but we'll call it, you know, April 10th. I'm just freestyling. Yeah. But, but yeah, early April is when the financing came in, but Monterey artist, as far as a venue, and there was, uh, I, I know Monterey artists, the booking agent, you know, we were getting data from good pay-per-view markets from in demand. I don't say, I, I bet they probably had, I don't, and I'm just, I'm really using your term now, freestyling. I bet they probably had 20 soft holes. When I started into, before I even signed the deal with them, they went out and did their due diligence like any booking agency. And I keep using Dayton because I know they, they wanted us to have our first show in Dayton for whatever reason. But anyway, there was multiple markets in the Midwest and the South that they reached out to in these venues and said, hey, every other week starting, maybe it was June 5th at that time, but then June 19th or wh- whatever the dates were, the, the, you know, the, the rotating schedule. So not having a venue locked down versus not having a venue there's, you know, it's two different things. So I get it. I get it. Being talked to, uh, financing was early April. And what was the other thing you said that, that, uh, in demand, oh, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk about Toby Keith because I think the rubber meets the road here. When you go to see him in a concert in Evansville in April, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was April. So that's where you say right, right in this time frame. And you start to lay the groundwork of what the idea would be. And and we talked about last week, he's going to cut you a buddy deal. Is this just a casual in-person? Hey, what if type deal? Or does he say, Hey, we're friends. Why don't you let your people talk to my people type deal? No, I drove from Nashville to Evansville, about 140 miles specifically to pitch. This is what I'm thinking. You sing a song, you appear and you get involved. Uh, in, in a match that I, I didn't even have the gauntlet laid out at this time, but it, s- something along those lines. And I said, Toby, you kick my ass, end up suplexing me. I know you can do that. Cause we got in, we did get that granular on the bus. Like I, I don't throw a punch. I said, look, it'll be easy. You come in, we'll have some other guys punch me around. You can stick me and suplex me and do all this. And he, he was in, but that the, the, the conversation was specifically a pitch to get him on episode one. Richard Scrooge, we've teased it. We've talked about it. We've beat it up. Uh, I'm fascinated by this piece of the story. I'm sure some of our hardcore wrestling fans are tired of hearing the name, but it's important to add context to all of this. The Enron scandal was the biggest financial fraud in American history. And then not too far behind it, we're going to have another one called health South right here in Birmingham, Alabama. And there is this, uh, a leader will say Richard Scrooge, who is eccentric might be a word. He doesn't just want to be, you know, sort of the big swinging dick in business. He wants to be that for music and movies and television and entertainment. It's not enough to just have a, a, a war chest of cash. He wants to be famous, right? He likes the idea of brushing up against celebrities. Am I off base there? 
the story, and I don't, you know, I didn't live it, but I know it was him and four, five, six, seven guys that all put in about 50 grand um, to start up Hell South. And it grew into, and he obviously emerged as the leader among those original guys and became the CEO of Hell South. And in that line of work of healthcare clinics around the country, you're going to have athletes and you're going to have, celebrities. They're going to need your services. And Richard grew up, he's got the entertainment bug and he's got a skill set and a talent to be, you know, a singer and a front man, not, not a bass player, not a drummer, but a front man. Uh, so it goes along with his dynamic CEO personality and look, look at the chairman to bring it back into our business. I mean, I believe Vince has no peers, in all of promotion, but I think as a heel persona, he ranks right up there at the very top. So it's not like Richard was getting out of bounds, trying to be a dynamic personality uh, in other walks of life, not just in the boardroom of, of hell South. Uh, so yes, that that's Richard. Uh, you, you called him eccentric. I, 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 you know, I think he's a maverick. Um, he, he wasn't afraid to fail. He wasn't afraid to, to push the envelope. Again, look, he he took a gamble on Hell South, and look what that payoff was. So who's to say that he, um, you know, couldn't take a gal a gamble in, in the music business? And and look, that's a whole other story, but pretty damn successful in that when his employees bought his albums. So uh, go ahead. It, it, it's remarkable his story, but still, you meet him uh, through a fellow at Sawyer Brown. We've even talked about, there was a Monday night raw in Birmingham that we've briefly detailed where, uh, right you, you, you get him backstage and he gets to meet everybody. Uh, and now you're looking for financing and you've made a deck, right? You've probably got a real pitch and I'm trying to add context to this. Let's appreciate Jeff grew up in the wrestling business where his dad ran it. And in those days, like. Jim Crockett senior ran his wrestling business out of his, his shirt pocket. Yep. So we're, we're trying to keep expenses low. Um, and, and we're just selling wrestling tickets and creativity and storylines and, you know, sodas and backdrops too. That's what we're selling. Now you find yourself, although he's a friend, you're going to make a pitch for millions of dollars here with slideshows and PDFs and charts and graphs. This is, uh, a new experience for you. I would guess fair to say. Sure. And you, you left one little note out there that you'll be able to relate to relate to being in the mortgage business. I also had for the first time, and I don't say history, but in our industry, I had a comparable, right? A two-year-old legitimate comparable Vince McMahon took his father's business and grandfather, you know, the lineage of that, but he took it public in 99. And here we are in 2002. And so here is Richard, the aspiration. If we can be a, a 10th or a 20th or a 50th as successful as this model, um, we're not talking about a lot of money in the right. grand scheme. Of things. So you, you, you get the appointment with Richard. How does that go? Do you just cold call him and say, Richard got an idea. When can I come see you? Is that it? Actually? Yeah. I mean, we're in conversations and remain friends and, you know, he's in the music business and it just, I'll call it the, the run of the mill friendship kind of conversations. 
And uh, what I called and I said, you know, you go through the switchboard or his, his secretary. Hey, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to Richard. Richard, we had a phone call, just what you said. And I'm like, yep. And he said, all right, I'm going to put you back up front, get it on the books. And so the day came and I drove down to Birmingham. So you drive down to Birmingham. That's when you see Hervey at the light. Uh, you go on in, you make the pitch. I'm sure it's a beautiful office. I'm sure it's lavishly decorated. And I'm sure you're uh, a little nervous because you've never exactly done this before. You make your pitch and how does it go? Hands were sweaty. I can assure you that because again, I had never done this type and I'm by myself, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different mindset that, okay, but it's also Richard. And, you know, when you talk about uh, the, when you said lavishly uh, decorated, the thing that popped in my mind, tons of sports memorabilia, football, all kind of different, you know, he had this, uh, program called the health, health self, uh, roadshow live. Bo Jackson was involved, uh, some real heavy hitters because he was about promoting his brand of, uh, healthy, you know, so, so he was a promoter as well. And he, he could dial into that being a front man, uh, of a, a country music act and a CEO, and he's got a promoter mentality in his blood, or at least aware of it. So I go in and I have my, my, like you said, my decks and PDFs and performas and, uh, comparables, uh, you know, I, my, me and my accountant, we had gone through it and prepared all the documents to, to really, uh, again, I can remember the night before me going over the materials and having it in line and, and knowing I'm going to give him, you know, this three pages at first and, and this deck second and. And then we're going to flap open up my laptop and he may want to take the meeting this way. Just everything, Conrad, you know, I've been down this road trying to prepare for all scenarios and all different twists and turns that the meeting may or may not take. But at the end of the day, uh, my hope was I want him to seriously think about uh, investing in the company. And at what percentage point, I had no idea. You know, all of it was new. So I went in there, um, got all dressed up, walk in, Hey Richard. And we get into the meeting and Conrad, I know I've already told you this, but some folks haven't heard this. I mean, I was so prepared for a 45 to 50, you know, use the full hour. Cause we had an hour block. We might've had longer than that, but about 15 and I'm being generous here, maybe 10 to 15. He has it and he just says, what do you need, Jeff? I'm in. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, I'm in. Well, Richard, wait, I want you to see this. I mean, I really legitimately had two or three of those. Like, let me just show you this. He goes, no, 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 no. And I'm missing a point here, Conrad, because he goes, Jeff, what do you got invested? And I said, 600 change. Okay. Who else is invested? My dad. And what's the split? Yep. He said, so your money's invested. I said, all but my retirement account and some running money for the next couple of months. He said, okay. He said, that'll all check out. Yep. And he said, I'm in. That's what sold him. He just said, if your money's at stake, I'm in. I believe in you. Let's go. And the whole meeting, I was in the door and out the door in less than 20 minutes. So you didn't need all the fancy charts and graphs and pro formas. I I needed one thing. uh, I almost called him. Uh, Richard, I'm putting up my own money. And here's the plan. And he said, look, I'm not a wrestling guy, promoting guy, but you're third generation. Let's give it a shot. 
I want you to go down the hall, meet with the finance folks. They're probably not going to, you'll probably have to come down back down here a couple of times to sign some documents, but I want you to go meet the team now. He called his secretary. Hey, have Jeff. I want him to be introduced to the whole team. I want them to ask all the questions. And Richard said, are you prepared to stay all day? Are you prepared to stay this morning? I said, I'm here all day or whatever you need. I can stay overnight. And I did. I had packed a bag of clothes to stay overnight because I just didn't know. And 20 minutes, I'm out the door. I go down meet the uh, financial folks. They ask questions. They ask this, all this. And that's when, you know, I've been asked, how did y'all come up with the $3.5 million line of credit? And, and to my best recollection, I believe that was going to be the first 90 days and there was no cap on it. It was an open-ended line of credit that if it needed to go to six months, nine months, because Richard said in the meeting, well, we got to get you a couple of years financing. And I'm thinking a couple of years, but that, I mean, that, that was the conversation Richard was in. And again, he, in 2002, and Conrad, you may know better than me, you're, you're, this is from your home state. I mean, it was a top five biggest organizations in the country. I think well, let's add context to this, his house, his old house that he had on the lake there just outside of Birmingham. Uh, obviously it was listed, you know, when he ultimately got indicted and blah, 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 it was just listed on April 2nd. So as you and I are talking about two months ago for 10 and a half million dollars, it's listed again. I mean, they've done a price drop. So now it's 7.9 million. And I realize some of you listening in California or New York, you're thinking, well, that's a nice house, but I mean, but let me just tell you in Alabama, $7.9 million. That's probably the most expensive house in the state It's 10 bedrooms, 16 bath, 15,695 square feet. This is not his primary residence guys. This is a lake house. This is a fellow who has multiple private jets. Why does he need multiple in case the first one needs repair? I mean, this is a, this is another level of wealth. Yes. And, I and mean, it, it, it's a, and I think the listeners, it's Shad Khan level. I, I think he was a top five highest paid CEO. Uh, I mean, it, yes, it's major, it's major cash. And, and what's fascinating to me about that conversation. And I, I framed a question last week that maybe I didn't ask the right way. Eventually we got there, but she said, oh, I put about you know, 600 or 680 or whatever you said the number was. And I said, what percentage of your personal net worth was that? And the, the, what I was trying to drive at is you're all in. So a, a guy like Richard Scrooge, well, 600 grand, he'd be like, okay, so my airfare bill for the next quarter, but, but, month. but, but to a normal human, 600 grand is like, fuck, that's a lot of money. And, 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 and it's, but we got to add the context of it's not a portion of my wealth, Richard. It's all I got. I'm all in. And so once he knew, like, and trusted you and he already did. And then he, and you said, I'm putting all of my money in this. Then in his head, well, I'm not putting all of my money, but if Jeff is willing to put all of his, I'll put some of mine in and here we are. Yeah. And, and you said a minute ago, an open line of credit. I want to make sure, cause I, I'm, we're throwing around some terms here. I'm not sure everybody follows. If you have what, what would be called like an installment loan, like if, if you've, if you're listening and you've ever financed a car, they're going to say, you're going to make this many or this amount of a car payment for whatever, three, four, five, six, some of you crazy seven years. 
And you're going to make that every single month. That's an installment loan. An open line of credit means if they, if they're going to give Jeff three and a half million dollars, that doesn't mean Jeff gets three and a half million dollars that day. It means you write checks against this account and it'll work up until three and a half million. Now at three and a half million, it's almost like a credit card. You're maxed out. So if you need more money, we got to talk about raising your limit, so to speak, but you can use this as you need it when you need it, but it's not a simple matter of. Here's what we're giving you. And now you got to pay it back. You're only paying interest when you use it. So it's very valuable from a business standpoint of knowing, Hey, I've got, for lack of a better word, a seatbelt. If things get rough, this thing's going to protect me and, and I can shoulder a little bit. So now you leave that meeting with your head held high and you've probably got to communicate to your dad, dad, I thought I'd be down here two days. I'm 20 minutes in and out and we got three and a half million bucks. And I forgot another thing that Richard in the God, this podcast is I, so you, you'll appreciate this Conrad. So we have that conversation. How much you got in? And he goes, well, what do I get for that? And I said, well, what do you want, Richard? <laughs> he goes, well, what's y'all's deal? And I said, it's me and my father, 65, 35. And the attorney is going to be, and he goes, oh, we'll, we'll make sure, you know, so it's a standard I want to say 3%, but, but Richard understood all that. And that was new to me at the time as well, that uh, an attorney was going to come on. They weren't going to get ownership points, but it was, it it was, it was a wonky uh, legal term, but, but I called it ownership points. Uh, And the accounting had not ownership points, but also uh, a service fee and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, so 65, 35 was the split. And he said, well, what do I get for, for the line of credit? I said, well, what do you want? He said, well, what do you think's fair? And I said, Richard, there's no way I'm answering that. You got to tell me. And he says, how does 10% sound? I said, if it works for you, works for me. He said, okay, make sure they know that when you go down there. That was a conversation we had at his office door. So again, he's not giving you three and a half million. It's a line of credit that you've got to pay back, but you're giving equity away for financing. Yes. Okay. And again, on some, some of our, our listeners are going to say, well, that was a bad deal for them. Where else were they going to get the cash? We documented in, in episode one of this two part series of creating TNA, your dad's bouncing around to every freaking banker he can find trying to secure this cash. And it's just not as easy. People want real estate attached it, 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 assets. Yes. Yes. I mean, when you're financing. Sorry, but banks don't really buy in. And I learned the comparables, the comparables of a WWE publicly traded company and the money in this industry that can be generated makes a lot more sense to the entertainment folks. And I know that there were discussions are from bankers in our meetings, Jerry, not to me, looking across the table, Look, you need to go to entertainment financing. Yes. You don't. You don't need to go to a bank here in Nashville, not institutional financing. Yeah. There you go. The, the idea being banks are used to, Hey, I'd like to buy this strip mall. Hey, I'd like to buy this land and develop some houses. Hey, I'd like to buy a lake house. And so now they've got a real tangible. All right. Well, if it doesn't work out, we can just foreclose and we can sell this and sort of mitigate our risk. But what assets are there with a wrestling company, a bunch of stacks of papers, some old rings. I mean, it's not the same thing. Look at the sale of WCW. Yeah. Assets were a couple of million bucks. Yeah. So, um, your dad brings up some names in his book from around this time. I just want to rapid fire real fast. Ray Maddox, a local, uh, entrepreneur, great businessman. 
Kirk Webster. Oh, that's uh, that's tied to the Dixie story. He uh, ran a uh, public relations firm, and it, it, you you want me to sidebar? Let's or, do it. Let's do it. So, so going around town, meeting with Monterey Peninsula artists, banks, Richard Scrushy, Keith Mitchell, as the startup phase, uh, Monterey artist. I told them, uh, I said, hey, I, I need to um, get a, a a local PR agency, but that has connections with LA and New York. And they gave me two names. One was Dixie Carter. One was Kurt Webster. They both ran public relations firms. And I met uh, me and uh, Ron Harris, uh, because Ron was tied through Sawyer Brown through the music industry. He went with me and we met with Kurt Webster and Dixie Carter in the same day. And uh, I went with uh, Trifecta, Dixie and Andy Barton's firm, as opposed to Kurt Webster's firm. So, I mean, now feels like as good a time of any. Tell me about the first Dixie meeting with TNA involved. <laughs> well, you were giving me rapid fire. I didn't know which way you were taking Well, I mean, listen, you brought her up and I didn't know when we were going to talk about it. So let's try now. Oh, sure. So that was, re- you know, obviously, um, this meeting, uh, who would have thought, uh, so to speak that, that, that the trajectory of, of TNA and everything that goes with it, the good, bad, and the ugly really pivoted off of Kurt Motley uh, at Monterey Pensionessel Artists, uh, a guy named James Jellix, uh, who worked for Monterey, and we're talking about venues and this and that. And then PR conversation comes up, and and I said, look, I've worked for Vince and WCW. I, I couldn't tell you a, a good PR agency from a bad PR agency here locally, but I, I really need connections in New York and L.A., so that was the mindset. So met, met with Kirk and Kirk's still in business to this day. Um, and, you know, just had different conversations and it was a feeling out meeting just to see, you know, if there was any wrestling uh, mentality with either party uh, and just really, okay. Tell, tell me a little bit about it and, and had those kind of conversations. Well, so went to Kirk, he was the first meeting and then, like at one o'clock that afternoon, it was probably a morning and an afternoon, um, went to uh, coming station where the TNA offices ended up uh, residing till 2014. But I went into those offices in uh, 2002 and met with Andy Barton and Dixie Carter and just had that conversation. And, you know, um, Dixie as a PR agent, and I've said this, uh, She's just got, obviously, a a woman. uh, She reminded me of my grandmother to a certain degree from the the verbal skills and the salesmanship and the assertiveness. And uh, and, and look, her, quote, unquote, resume uh, with uh, professional billiards. So she had some major accounts. She had a whiskey account. She had uh, Wrangler Jeans. She had country music accounts. Tanya Tucker, personal manager of hers. Um, she knew how to deal with both coasts. Uh, and so I, I knew by the time I left that meeting that that was the PR agent I was going with. It's your weekly reminder to make sure that you are taking advantage of all things Conrad over at adfreeshows.com. The content library is phenomenal with so many options that cater to you, the wrestling fan. Whether you enjoy hearing your favorite podcast ad free or watching them on your smart device, maybe you're interested in MMA 
or just enjoy the wrestling nostalgia, I guarantee there is something for you. The interactive experiences alone are worth every penny. From Nick Aldis and Thunder Rosa to legends like Nikita Koloff, Arn Anderson, and Jim Ross, they have all been a part of our live interactive events where you get to talk to them and ask the questions that are on your mind. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to adfreeshows.com and choose the right tier for you. So much value and a wide selection that is free as well. That's right, free content you can start enjoying today. So do it now. Go to adfreeshows.com and sign up today and join the fastest growing wrestling community. Again, it's adfreeshows.com. I can't wait for us to talk about more about Dixie in the future, but I've just, it looks like there was something just released. Bram has just been re-signed to a new five-year. I'm just kidding. Dixie did that all the time. Every year she would like, I went over my head. I got you every month. There would be a new post, exciting news. Bram signed a new contract. Uh, Bob Lankford name. Why you pick on Bram. Uh, I, I, I have no problem with Mr. Latimer. I'm a fan of his work. I'm just yeah. saying it was a, it was always a, we're teasing a big announcement and the announcement was always Bram had resigned and yeah. All right. Uh, carry on Bob uh, Langford businessman, local businessman, uh, Earl Bentz. Am I saying that right? Yep. He, um, family friend, um, if anybody knows anything about fishing boats, he started, um, oh my gosh, I just, I just, I know, uh, Triton boats was one, but he started two, if not three, uh, boat companies, but just a super, super, super intelligent man, but a, a great businessman and but had discussions with him about financing. All of these guys though, are, are in the book because there are other op- opportunities besides Richard Scrooge. Should you need it? Once you land the Scrooge cash. Did you feel the need to continue to explore or did you feel like we had what we need to get going? No, Richard, just not just our relationship, but, but, um, he was the right partner. There you go. He was the strategic partner. And, and to bring that term up, that was the one thing that me and my father definitely agreed on that. This is a unique business. It it just really is not saying that you got to like wrestling, but you got to at least understand that it's a creative driven scripted physical entertainment business and, and understanding that context, Richard got it immediately. So the wrong partner would have been someone who's putting in a little bit of cash, but now they're wearing you out all the freaking time. And they've got an opinion about this or that. This is just easier when you've got somebody who no likes and trusts you and they got a war chest of cash. So holler if you need me. Right. Well, and, and Richard said, uh, as, as the weeks rolled along, I want to help you with promotion. I want to help you with marketing. I want to help you open doors. I've got employees all over the country that, that, uh, you know, he had uh, literally health clinics probably in all 50 States, but you know, nationwide, how can I be the right strategic partner? It never was, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like for you to look at this piece of talent or what happens if you look, I'm not a wrestling fan and I'm not a writer, but what happens if we did this storyline? It was never about that. And, and he was upfront about that. That was look, and 
been around as long as my dad had at this time of me. It's that person who wants to write the show um, that, you know, uh, and, and then then to the flip side of that is, is the banking side. Uh, every conversation we had, um, like every conversation, which I thought was, well, that's interesting. They continue to say, Jeff, Jerry, you need to be overcapitalized. The last thing you need to do in an entertainment venture is be undercapitalized. I mean, and I, that was, that, that was interesting. I just remember like connecting those dots. Like this isn't the first time I heard that. This isn't the second time I've heard that. That was a running thread from every financial person we talked to. Hey, uh, said a different way, a country way. You guys can't have enough money. So <laughs> there you go. keep going. Now here's the other thing I want to mention. Your dad details in his book that Scrooge sort of ghosted you. The understanding was you guys were going to have some sort of contract, some sort of firm pen to paper situation, but we can't get a hold of him. And when he does pop back up, he pops back up because there was a medical situation in his family and he was just sort of out of pocket for a bit. And once you speak to him, your dad feels much better, but in the meantime, you can't wait to rush out and release a press release. So there's a press release announced or, or, or done and, and, and put out there that Scrooge and health South are involved, but we still don't have pen to paper. And now we can't get Richard on the phone. And your dad starts to panic. According to his book. Did you not have that feeling at all? I can tell by the way you're scrunching your face up. It was never a, a threat or a concern for you. The ghosting. I, I, I don't know recollection of that. And I don't recall that at all. Because when I left Birmingham and setting up the legal documents, and maybe my dad wasn't aware of that, but my finance guys and my legal guys connecting with their guys, and and the conversations were, look, there's a lot of documentation we got to draw up on our side. And again, we're starting up a company, and our legal folks are finance and production agreements and in demand, and it was all new to them as well. So I don't remember, no, Richard didn't ghost and. Maybe there was a medical emergency with his family or something like that, but I don't recall any, again, when I left Birmingham, I was, you felt good about it at least. Yeah. Very good. Uh, this is from the observer. Jerry Jarrett is said to not want Vince Russo as the writer, but Jeff is adamant that he be in that position. So we talked a little bit about creative last week and you said, Conrad, it's March. Do you think I really care coming right off of nitro? where shows were rewritten right before I went through the curtain. No, I didn't care, but it does feel like, especially the way it's detailed in your dad's book and the observer here, I don't know who was talking to Dave back then. Maybe your dad, either way, it's pretty plain. Your dad has concerns with Russo being the writer. What can you tell us about that from the very beginning? And, and, uh, it was new ground for him working with his son in a partnership. Um, you know, uh, and I don't know Boy, it'd be a, it'd be a good little ad free, uh, bonus to, to have my dad and Vince just talk about the first time or first few times they were around each other. Uh, because, but you know, and my dad didn't even like the term writer, you know, that, that was a four letter word booker, it's the booker baby. Exactly. It was a four. So, but I also knew the, the value of maybe not scripting promos. Cause I was never that, uh, you know, uh, hell bent on getting word for word, 
but 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 definitely staying on the tracks uh, and guiding to 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 weave the stories in and out. And Vince, you know, at WWF and WCW, right or wrong, uh, he had writing skills, and so I wanted him a part of the company. And my dad not only didn't want him a part of the company, he really didn't want the word writer being a part of the company. So we're going to talk a lot about this, but, uh, it feels like as good a time of any, since we just brought up the Eric Bischoff thing earlier, after Vince Russo being persona non grata to Vince McMahon from October of 99 forward, all of a sudden Vince Russo has an opportunity to go back and work for Vince in June of 02, the very month where you're kicking off NWA TNA, he reports back to work for Vince McMahon. Does that not feel like, God damn it. I don't, it feels like the same Bischoff conversation. I don't really want him, but I don't want him working for them. Fuck it. Bring back Russo. Do you think that's how that went? I know you weren't there, but were you surprised when you heard, wait a minute now, I've been in the trenches here trying to navigate this relationship with you and my dad, and now you're going to work for Vince or were you almost like, oh, okay, maybe I don't have to do that anymore. I wish he was on the team. I wish he got along with dad, but if this is the way it's going to be, I'm not upset about it. Uh, on the one hand, you know, obviously it's a lot. I look through it like through an entirely different lens today in 2021. So man, if that doesn't say at all in, in so many different ways that, that, that he went back, but during the time, the business blinders, a young 30 something year old promoter, I didn't feel like I had to have Vince or my father or any one particular talent or whatever it is, get a group of guys, get a team, get production, talent, legal finance, distribution, get everybody in the boat who wants to be in the boat and start rowing. And we're going to get there. And so Vince doing that, I do remember going, that's really interesting. He lasted 48 hours. I think it was like 48 hours. It, it was over and done with, I think, before I ever found out about it. It was that quick. And I just chuckled. And, you know, you drawing the connecting the dots of Bischoff a month later and Vince now and the in demand and who knows all you may be able to connect a bunch of other dots, but it, it didn't really affect me either way in a, I'm sure I digested it and thought it through, but at the end of the day, he was one guy of many that was either going to get on the team or not. I love your optimism. <laughs> Delusional optimism. Well, or just, optimism? just your optimism. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, uh, it's very Jonah in the way I love you, you know, like, Hey man, my dad doesn't want to be in. Okay. Oh, we can't get financing. That's all right. My lead writer I wanted was not coming in. Okay. My best friend's not coming. Doesn't matter. I mean, I feel like you're at this point, we could have been like, now, Jeff, there's a deadly bear in here, but it'll feed your family for a month. But we've got this Swiss army knife and you're like, let's go get him. He, he don't know nothing about hurricane Ronis. He's going to learn today. I got my guitar. We'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> but just, that, you know, my life experiences, I, that's, I think that's a, it's, it is a part of my genetic or personality makeup. I've, I've always had that mindset. Um, it's tremendous. If you, think, if you think you can, you can't. And if you think you can't, you can't. 
Well, but the deal is the, with, with entrepreneurs and people who've had real success in their life, they do take that damn, the torpedoes attitude. And unfortunately, a lot of the podcasts, especially in this genre, always gravitate back to, oh, that won't work. And here's why. And that is just, man, it just sucks the life out of you. And I just avoid that negativity. And we even have our underwriters on the mortgage side. Instead of telling me why it won't work, they try to take the, but if I could type approach, like the, the old Bruce Pritchard, what if I don't want to hear all the reasons it won't work shit. I can make my own list for that. Help me with an idea of how it could work. What can we do? I, I don't need to know what we can't do. What can we do? And that's just coming through loud and clear as we're sort of laying the, the, the groundwork for you starting TNA here. It, well, and, and, you know, uh, I don't want to even want to call it in my wisdom. There, there's something about, uh, age and wisdom, but blind spots. Yes. At, 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 uh, you know, how old was I now? 34, I think anyway, early thirties, I, I couldn't even, I, I'd never heard, Oh, Jeff, you got a blind spot. Had I heard that? Because that's like our relationship, Conrad, uh, I hope to, to, uh, you know, learning that you have blind spots and everybody does, Yeah, but, but, but in, in, in those days, hell I'm double J. I don't have any blind spots. Jerry, you're out. Vince, you're out. Whoever. I don't care. Oh, we lost our finances. Kirchie. Okay. I'm going to call Don King. I mean, it was on to the next win, but, but you have taken some, some, you know, pardon the phrase, some bullets along the way. Yeah. Your wife got sick, but she beat cancer. You got, you, you know, you, you held a Vince McMahon, but then you became world champion. So it's like every time there is this trial or tribulation or something that looks like, Oh man, this we're in some rough waters here. You somehow come out the other side better off. And so I got a text message from somebody in the business and I forget who it was, but I'll find it before I see you again. And they sent me a message that said something like, man, that SOB always co- finds a way to come out on top. Doesn't he? And I made the joke when you and I were talking once about when I was pitching you on the show, I'm like, if cats have nine lives, the Jarrett's must have 10 because every time it looks like, well, that's the end of him in wrestling. Howdy folks. Good old. It's like, what, what happened? I thought he was dead and gone. He just, he's not, he's never leaving. He's staying in the game. He learned that lesson early on. He's staying in the game. All right. <laughs> uh, let's get back to the observer quote. Road dog is under house arrest for six months, but both Jarrett and WWE plan on using him again when he's available. Boy, that has to be a bit of a blow. You hoped he'd be a big part of the first show. And now that's not going to work. And when you look at mine and Brian's relationship from day one, it's, it's really a fascinating, and I hope to do a podcast on that one day, just our relationship sure. as the roadie and, and all that. But at this time, Brian was in a bad place and I do remember going, son of a, you know, of course I'm selfish and self-centered and wouldn't worry about his dark days that he was going through. It was damn it. You're not going to be because Brian has a unique skill set of charisma and a family lineage and knows what to do without even telling him what to do. He's already going to, he's going to give you, you give him just a little bit of something good. And Brian has the innate ability to turn it into something great. That's his own. That's marketable and has legs. And he also takes care of his opponent. You just, you can't really manufacture that. And so I was, I was 
super devastated, but Jeff knowing Jeff probably back in those days and said, all right, he's going to be a shot in the really, really great shot in the arm come uh, September, October, when he comes off house, house arrest. Another name that you have interest in, uh, is going to magically appear. Scott Hall is released on May 7th. He had, uh, uh, a rough time here in the WWE and he's cut loose on May 7th, just what five or six weeks before you're running your first show. Does he reach out to you or do you reach out to him? I don't recall exactly, but my gut tells me I would have reached out to him. You know, me and Scott from the double J razor Ramon days, but prior to that, he came through Memphis, um, worked his big Scott hall, drove a Corvette and then went up to Vern Gagne. Um, and started teaming with Kurt Henning and, and then he went to WCW, and, uh, all that diamond stud, but, uh, the Jeff, uh, Jarrett razor Ramon relationship, uh, was pretty deep and yep. traveled a lot of miles with him and all that. So when he became available, I definitely remember, uh, don't know who called who first, but I was super excited to, you know, Scott, I think to this day, he's one of those guys that. For him not to have been a world heavyweight champion, to me, sort of a head scratcher. He he had it all. Um, and and you know, candidly, right, uh, quasi, I don't say maybe at the end of his prime. So I was very excited. And my dad and him always had a good relationship, and they still do to this day, but I was very excited to get the opportunity to have him on board. When you're talking to a guy like Scott, does he want to know, hey, so what do you guys have in mind? What do you want me to do? Or is it simply what are the dates and how much are you paying me? Uh, well, with me and Scott were Scott. Um, we're not talking about locking you up. It's, you know, creatively what I think about you. We're going to take care of you. Cause he, he wanted to know, you know, like, what am I doing? And I'm like, dude, trust me. <laughs> we, and we, we knew each other. I was going to take care of him creatively and here's the dates and here's the money. Okay. I'll be there. That's simple. Yeah. Uh, it's also written, I know you've, you've, we've talked about Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock a little bit, but I do want to bring it up because your dad wrote about it, that Ken Shamrock supposedly tells your dad, I don't want to work with Dan Severn. And then you come to your dad and say, well, we're going to do the NWA world title. And of course that means Dan Severn's the champ and you, you've sort of categorized that that wasn't going to happen. And we're not going to see Dan in the NWA. Did you ever have a conversation with Shamrock about what the heat was with Severin? No, I, I, I mean, and as you brought it up, no, I, I mean, it didn't concern me at all. Uh, it doesn't concern me to this day, but I didn't even, I don't even recall that being a part of the conversation. Um, let's talk. The reason I brought up the NWA is I wanted to know when you had a conversation about the NWA, was it always just the quote unquote big belt or did you know you wanted the tag straps as well? I wanted the single and the tag, and that was going to be the driving focus of the titles. You know, the X division was brand new and that was going to be one of the things that, uh, set us different and part of the alternative mindset and taking guys, um, off the independent scene that, you know, the flippy floppy guys that I, again, hated always heard that, but that was going to be their own division, but the heavyweight and the tags is, was the vision. Uh, that was the wrestling. That was the NWA component of it. And it was going to be the driving force, uh, of the in-ring product in a big, in a big, loud, broad way. 
Let's do this uh, patch from the observer. And then we'll wrap this episode up by the way, next week, you're going to get creating TNA part three. Mm. Uh, and then in two weeks, yes, we are going to watch that very first show and we've got some fun stuff planned for that. Stay tuned. Uh, but here it is from may 20th in the observer quote, the Jarrett's have had meetings with some big corporations or at least one when it came to funding, but don't know how they've done as well. Attempting to get corporate sc- corporate sponsorships to defray some costs. Although at press time, none of those deals have been inked. Almost nobody that I've spoken with, including people involved in the venture, see any way this concept can work. Writers selling point to the wrestlers is that without the expense of doing television, the costs are down. The problem is without TV, you're an independent. According to company sources, they need between 40 to 50,000 buys per week to break even. The idea they can do that for a tape show is ridiculous after the first month. Unless they put out a product so blow away that it becomes the new end thing and creates a new super drawing card. But if they somehow can do that, WWE is going to take them away as any of the names that have been talked about for the promotion. Only a few have signed contracts and none are longer than 26 shows. The other problem is payment. Even if early on they do get the buys, when are they going to get their money? In demand is terribly slow in paying. And if you've got expenses of 250 grand per week, running a company with no money coming in for three to six months, that adds up very quickly. AJ styles, road dog, disco inferno, the Harris twins, Brian, Christopher, Shane Douglas, and Conan look to be the biggest names with plans on styles, getting a big push as well as Jeff Jarrett, who will almost surely wind up with the NWA title. And Ken Shamrock, who signed a 26 show contract with the idea he could also work for the UFC or another MMA group, something the WWE would not allow him to do. So a lot to unpack here, but the gist is according to company sources, they need 40 to 50,000 buys per week. Is that accurate? You were hoping that to get 40 to 50 in a company sources. Uh, he's saying that according to making sure I'm getting Dave's words, right? Yes. And so inside your company, someone in your company told him we got to do 40 to 50 to break even for whatever reason. I remember 20 ish North of 20 ish uh, on a weekly basis. And at the time, uh, I think WCW's monthly pay-per-views were doing gosh, uh, uh, three, 400, two, two to four. And I may be completely off, but I remember it was a fraction like a real fraction of what WCW's numbers were. And it was a different marketing hook. It was episodic. Um, you know, it was, it was that 40 bucks for eight hours of content, the alternative. Um, and for whatever reason, I want to say 20 ish, 20 to 25 ish weekly. What was the, was the original number that we put into the performance sin. Uh, let's, let's go back a little later. Starcade 2000 did 50,000 buys. Sin did 80,000 buys. Super brawl revenge did 70,000 buys on the very last of of, all platforms. Yes, sir. Wow. Greed did 50,000. So when you guys come out and say, Hey, we're going to do 40 to 50,000. We're going to do what WCW did for the last Starcade on a weekly basis. Now it's $29 versus $10. I get it. But, but I can't, I, I just wonder who, again, that's a Dave and Dave's got to sell newsletters and got to yeah. write something sensational. I don't recall even a Bob Ryder. Boy, you're going to piss people off with what you just said there. 
What's that? Well, you're sort of insinuating that Dave's making shit up just to sell papers. You're stirring the pot. No, that's what you said. Okay. Dave is a businessman. Okay. And he's worried first and foremost about his bottom line. He's if, got, he doesn't sell, if he doesn't sell newsletters and boring newsletters don't sell. So if you can take, uh, again, uh, maybe a Bob Ryder. So maybe Bob said, yeah, we're going to do 40 or 50,000 buys. I'm sure it's Ryder. Huh? I'm sure it's Ryder. Did Dave and Bob, were they buddies? Because Bob was one wrestling.com. Who knows? But, but, but they all respect each other. I mean, Dave Meltzer has always carried respect with other wrestling journalists. Okay. So I'll take that. I just, yeah. just uh, you know, even if we're yeah. not best friends and we're not on Christmas card list, it doesn't mean like, you know, yeah. you can't pick I'll up take the phone and call Dave. Okay. So back to you stirring the pot. Dave's got to sell letters. Come on. Even Dave would admit that. Well, I mean, listen, if you're just comparing it to the newspaper business, yeah. What's on the cover, what your headline is matters. It helps sell papers. So I get that. Yeah, right. It does. Uh, but still you're saying you thought it was more like we, we, we need to do 20,000 and let's run through the math on that. I think that checks out with what you're saying. Cause you said a minute ago. Conrad, I want to think it was under a hundred grand because if it was a hundred grand, let's get down the rabbit hole, boys and girls, the shit is $10 a pay-per-view. So if we sell 20,000, that's 200,000 and you had a 50, 50 split within demand. So you're going to bring in a hundred, which offsets your costs. So anything over 20,000, it's a little, uh, little extra cheese on the whopper for the Jarrett family. Yeah. And every, every whether it was a banker or anybody I talked to Jeff, you're going to, you're not going to make money and probably don't plan on making money for two or three years. Now optimistic Jeff was I'll show them, I'll show them, but that was the forewarning it's it's and even Richard, Richard was like, Hey man, we got to invest. But again, the comparable of WWE going public and all those numbers, but uh, optimism Jeff was, was, but yeah, Roughly in the, that wheelhouse, 20,000 buys. When you're, when you're making your budgets and boy, we're getting way in the weeds on this. So I'm sorry. Cause I know some of these folks don't want to hear this, but <laughs> were you paying yourself as a wrestler? Is that figured into the budget? Are you wrestling for free? Oh, of course I was paying myself for, for Wednesday nights. Yes. Because re- reason I say that is first I was like, huh, was that? No, my conversations. And I remember having. Janice Carter, Dixie's mom, I'm jumping a little too far ahead, but the reason that, that, and from, from, uh, health South CEO to, to my father, because I was a little like, how does this go? If you don't pay yourself for a wrestler, then, then, then Richard Scrooge and health South aren't going to value you as a talent. You, you got to put a number. And I think I took the middle rate on every card in that startup phase. But when the Carters took over, she was like, and Janice, to her credit, she got it. She's like, now you get paid an office. I said, let Janet look at it this way. When I'm in front of the camera, I get a wrestler rate. Now that's debatable, but somewhere in that stratosphere of talent pay, I get that. And when I'm behind the scenes, I get paid like an office worker. So yes, it is two different pay stubs. And she got it. She said, oh, okay. So in the early startup days, it was the same mentality, except I didn't have the in-depth conversation with Hell South. But yes, I was getting paid as a wrestler and as an office. Skipping way ahead here. But once the Carters are involved and you still have points, as they used to say, 
you're also getting a dividend check, right? Yes. So yeah. And bonus as well. You know, the, the, the employee bonus, Christmas bonuses always paid out at the end of the year. My goodness. Look at you. Uh, well, boys and girls, we're going to put a button on this one for this week. We've got so much more to talk about that. We didn't get into, uh, we're going to talk about not getting clearance for Canada. We're going to talk about disco inferno. We're going to talk about dish network. Uh, we're going to talk about a street team here in Huntsville. We are going to talk with, uh, you know, the whole peninsula thing, how that came to be. Why Huntsville. We're going to talk about Ed Ferrara and Jim Cornette seeing each other in person and their spit and a fight. It's a mess. And, uh, yeah, that story, there's a lot to unpack. We're also going to talk about Dale Oliver. Uh, we're going to talk about guys like Lex Luger. Uh, we're going to talk about Francine from ECW. Uh, we're even going to talk about a conversation you had with Brent Hart about perhaps doing a team Canada gimmick and how that could have involved a very young TJ Wilson. Of course, I'm not doing one more show without talking about Monty Brown because it's all about the pouts and how it almost didn't happen. I love it. So uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about here as we're creating TNA. Uh, this is uh, volume two next week. We'll do volume three and then we'll be back on the 22nd. So just a couple of days after the, I can't believe this is real, uh, 19 year anniversary of the first TNA show right up the street here in Huntsville, Alabama. You've been to my house before Vaughn Braun's at the bottom of the mountain. I'm at the top of the mountain. I mean, we go past it every day. You're over. It's crazy. Isn't it? It's bizarre. And, and, and when we started on this journey, you would have told me we're going to do three podcasts and not even talk about the first show. Conrad, we are granular and I hope, look, you're steering this ship here, but man, um, for a TNA fan, I guess it is some fascinating stuff or non TNA fan. It's on you, pal. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think for even a, a non TNA fan, it's tremendous. And, and, and I, and I say that just because we can't tell the story anywhere else, you know, how to start a wrestling company. And there's a lot of uh, other little niceties in here that we get to tie in. I love the dynamic of you and your dad. And I love the dynamic of just your extended family. I mean, your wife, Jill at the time and, and, and your brother's got the construction company going and your dad, we should also mention as we're getting closer and closer to this, you know, becoming reality, your dad's construction business, where at the beginning of the year, he forecast that he could personally profit 15 million. It's hit the skids BP and shell are no longer issuing him all these work orders one after another. And so he's had to go lay off the majority of his construction staff. So the one business he's had, that's been a cash cow is now limping along and he's got a, a, a pretty fair amount of money invested in this idea. And he wants to support you and he wants to get back in the wrestling business, but golly, he probably didn't want to spend all day on the phone with the ultimate warrior and Randy Savage. Right. I mean, this is it's trying it's, times. When you, put it, you lay it out that way, it, yeah, it is. It, it, it was certainly a, what a formative Look how lucky I got. Oh gosh, dude. There's bat and, and take a swing, but the life lessons and the blind spots and the Russo personality, I mean, friendship and, and, and that, oh boy. And Brian road dog and his troubles. And yeah, as you lay it out that way, um, I, I guess it may be a blue pant on what not to do or what to do of starting a wrestling company. 
it's phenomenal. We hope you guys are digging what we're doing. Uh, we're going to continue to crank out the hits, uh, by the way, if you are getting bored with the TNA talk, we've got two weeks left and then we'll, we'll try some other things. How about this for the month of July? What a loaded month July is. We're going to start off July, July 6th, just a couple days after the 4th of July. We're going to talk about Hulk Hogan and bash at the beach. 2000. We're also going to talk about walking out on Vince at in your house Two on July 20th. Then we'll talk about his WWF debut debut on July 27th. So if for whatever reason, you're not all in on all things TNA, we're going to move away from it. But I, I felt like, and you and I talked about this off air, but we'll sort of pull back the curtain. I said, Jeff, I, I just don't want for me and you to fast forward. And now we're on week 37 and we got nothing else to do, but talk about Beetlejuice. Cause by the way, we're going to get there. Uh, we're definitely talking about Beetlejuice and I can't wait to talk about Beetlejuice, but I'm just saying, I don't, I don't want us to be like, well, you know what? Let's go back and talk about funding TNA the first time let's do it justice. Let's tell the story in order. And, and some of our super fans one day will, will piece all this together and listen to it in one seven hour marathon of how the hell to start a wrestling company. But I'm fascinated by it because almost everyone listening to this has at least imagined maybe when they were kids and they had one of those wrestling rings and they had their action figures and they started their own promotion. But now here you are doing it for real with your personal life savings. And Vince McMahon is taking every opportunity he can to mess with you. It's fascinating. Ruthless aggression. And uh, on that terrible note, that's a terrible impression. We should leave that one to Bruce. Exactly. I'm terrible at it. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next week. Lots to unpack still to come. I thought we'd finish it up this week, but here we are nearly two and a half hours in and, uh, we haven't even scratched the surface, but next week we'll call it creating TNA volume three Huntsville bound. And then we'll be back on the 22nd to actually watch the show. If you haven't already, and boy, you want to talk about what's old is new again, Jeff. Folks need to go sign up for the impact app. If they want to watch that one with us, can you believe that you and I give, well, they don't mind it for me, but can you believe that you're about to encourage people to go sign up for the impact app to watch with us? I can never say never, <laughs> but, you need business. but uh, yeah, that premiere episode, when you see it, well, I, I want to jump too far ahead. Like when you see a young AJ styles oh, and, yeah. and what it became, I'm like, some folks that were around me in the early days, I want to nudge them or punch them or grab them around the next and say, see, I told you. So I told you, this is exactly the X division, but it was, it was fun to watch that. And Jerry Lynn quarterback. It's, it's just, it was man. I, I definitely remember show one with, with a lot of fond memories, a lot. Dusty Rhodes, Ricky steamboat on and on and on. And Oh, when we get to the actual show, how about this? If you don't know the story, here's a tease. Right before they go live on their debut show for the whole world to see what this new product is with all of our life savings invested, the ring breaks and somehow the show goes on. It's unbelievable. It's creating TNA volume three coming up next week. And in two weeks, we'll be back with the total nonstop debut. Huh? How about that? Total nonstop debut. Love it. It's good. The, the ring breaking, uh, you got to call up my doc, uh, Dr. Tim Adair. Uh, he was under the ring with Ron Harris fixing the ring. Your, doc, your doctor helped fix the ring. He uh, He's not the biggest, strongest man in the world, but he was next to the Harris brothers helping get fixed. Yes. I mean, you talk about all hands on deck. It's a fascinating story. 
We'll talk about it in two weeks. I can't believe it. I'm having so much fun with my world. Hope you are too. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it and be sure to hit that subscribe button and tell a friend about your new favorite wrestling podcast. Even if they hated Jeff Jarrett, we should talk about that before we get <laughs> every time I get tagged in a tweet. That's it. They all go something like this. Well, not all, but I don't know. 40% of the folks who were talking about our show on social, they write something like this. You know, for 20 years, I thought you were the biggest piece of shit and I hated your guts. I realized today, listening to one of these episodes, I was wrong. Keep up the great work. <laughs> it's the greatest. I love it. It's I, now it's, you know, we're five weeks in it, it's like, uh, I got a buddy, uh, at the gym. I'm like, yep. I read it. He, he cause he, now he's on to it. He's like, all I got to do is put in your mentions. And it's like, Hey Jeff, you are real piece of, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but anyway, I, lo- I love it. It's, it's good stuff. It's the, the power of the platform has been amazing in so many ways. And I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for you and ad freeze and the platform, but it's fascinating in the experience experiment or experience of human nature Yeah, that they watch me on TV and know it's scripted and, and would argue to their blue in the face. Oh, that's all fake guys. That's all fakes. Oh, but Jeff was a real asshole. What? That doesn't add up, but that's life. That's, that's us as human beings. So tell your friends, I know it's Jeff Jarrett, but just listen to it. Trust me. You're going (laughs) to like it. There's no strutting. There's no guitar shots yet, but the, and there's no, but we'll get there in July. Uh, but we appreciate you guys hitting the subscribe button, check us out on YouTube. And that is an excellent way to sort of turn your friends onto the show. I just look for my world podcast on YouTube and I'm telling you, your friend is going to come around to what we're doing here. And don't forget you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And Jeff, before we get out of here, I guess we can spill the beans. If you're a top guy on ad free shows, you're coming to Chicago labor day weekend. You're hanging out with me and you and Jr. and Arn and Tony and Eric. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. You know, uh, it takes me back to Starcast one and that was the old, Hey, uh, Conrad, this is Jeff Jarrett. Uh, yeah. Hey man, you'll do a podcast. No, but would you like to put Starcast on fight? Yes. Anyway, that, that hotel I'm excited. I really am excited to go back, back to where you and I first started working together. Going to have some great surprises, lots of fun activities lined up. And, uh, somebody pitched me an idea for you that I got to pitch you when we hang up that, uh, you might be interested in. So folks. Howdy folks. <laughs> okay, here, here we go. Somebody's getting a guitar. We'll see you next week right here on my world with Jeff Jarrett. Save with Conrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Lindsay in Wisconsin. He left us a five-star review and said, super easy refi, probably easier than when we did this four years ago with a local credit union. Find out how easy it is right now yourself at save with Conrad.com NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. And oh yeah, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Let's save with Conrad.com. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. 
plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.